Good evening, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. This is going to be a very, very enjoyable conversation. Y'all are gonna enjoy this a lot most of the time on our program. You know, we have people from our church or other friends, uh, people who are uh, very like-minded. Uh, an echo chamber has often has been, that term's been used quite a bit. But tonight, that is not gonna be the case. Tonight, I am joined with uh, Will and Brian from the Church Split podcast. And these, this is a podcast that in one of our recent episodes, uh, they were brought up, their names were brought up, and a uh, few insults might have been thrown their way. And I have a policy. If I talk about you on the program, that is an invitation to the program. And uh, I do that to help keep me under control so I don't go after people too much and kind of try to stick to issues and things like that. And so I did. Uh, I went after, I had said some things. They did a response video. And so I put it out there. It's like, hey, do you guys want to come on the show and talk about it? Let's do it. And they were uh, willing and ready to do it. And so that's what we're doing tonight. So if uh, for those of you who do not know who they are, I want to introduce them to you or let them introduce themselves to you. So uh, Will and Brian, go ahead and introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about uh, who you are, uh, your religious uh, background, uh, current beliefs. And of course, the Church Split podcast. Well, hey, well, first off, Pastor Tommy, thanks for having us on. We're very excited to be here. Um, just so you know, we did find the few insults that were thrown away actually entertaining. I, I, I was laughing at it. You saw that. Yeah. You probably saw the response. So they were clever. <laughs> uh, <laughs> hey, you know, I've said it before. If you insult me or you go after me, just please. Make it make it a good time. Make me at least have fun with it. So thank you for that. But uh, yep, my name is Will. I have. Uh, I'll just do the whole quick synopsis. Obviously, you can't give everyone a whole thing about your life in five, five seconds flat. But uh, I was raised in the IFB. I was like raised in a moderate IFB. Then over time, I just questioned some of the things. Long story short, I ended up pastoring an independent Baptist church. Um, I mean, I am in ministry, um, and I am currently uh, working at another church that is not. But uh, I started the Church Split podcast because I noticed that the church is very split. I have, as a pastor, experienced church splits. Most pastors I've talked to have experienced horrible church splits and the terrible things that they can go through. And a lot of it comes into not being objective biblically, or it does it turns into just being mean to each other. And I wanted a place where we could sit down and have difficult conversations about church splitting topics. And so that's what it is. That's what we, that's me in a nutshell. Switch, yeah. Switch it to my regular camera. And I'm Brian. I'm I help with the podcast. I'm on it sometimes, but mostly I'm the behind the scenes guy. Um, Will and I are good friends, and I thought, hey, I can help him do a podcast. I like computer stuff, so. And I love theology and apologetics, so that's how I kind of got involved in it. I grew up Calvinist, so all the IFB stuff is pretty new to me, but I find it uh, massively entertaining um, with some of the things that I found out about it. So I've enjoyed learning about it, talking about it, and asking good questions. But to be clear, you have, you're not a Calvinist, though, anymore, I'm right? not a Calvinist okay. anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like you should mention that before, because sometimes it gets a bad rap. But he even went to well, Calvin College, good. so he's, he's very Calvinist. Very indoctrinated from the beginning. <laughs> Okay. Well, hey, well, I'm glad you're not a Calvinist anymore. That's a good thing. But all right. Well, hey, we're having a little bit of uh, video issue on the Zoom end of things. So, uh, Austin, if you want to play around with that and maybe try to do a new screen capture or even put them on the television, you'll just have to drag it over and kind of watch on the monitor that way. 
But this is our first time doing one, uh, kind of this particular method. So we were bound to have some kind of issue. Well, of course. Perfect. <laughs> well, but first time for everything. I've been saying I need to get a trendy in our church. I need to stop being so mean to them. That way they can kind of help us with a lot of these problems. Uh, you just need have, one. Right? Just one. Yeah, just <laughs> one. If I can get them to come over to our side and they could fix all these things. But anyway, so, yeah, one of the things that uh, we want to kind of start off talking about. So. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of differences between um, the old IFB, the uh, old time religion crowd, the old PAS crowd, and um, a lot of what I refer to as trendies. Now, that term trendy, uh, how that came. Now, I've been seeing that term go around. I, I'm taking credit. I did start that. I've been <laughs> using that term for a long time. And where that came from is I was noticing that. Um, it seemed like in the IFB world, a lot of the younger generation was getting turn, turned off to a lot of the, uh, you know, some of the crazy stuff, you know, in the IFB world. And there was a lot of criticism going around. You had the videos going viral of, you know, preachers, you know, ripping on whatever, you know, maybe ripping on the homos, using homophobic slurs and things like that. And it seemed like a lot of guys are like, you know, I want to distance myself from that. I, you know, we're not that mean. We're not that crazy. And, you know, and you do hear some dumb preaching sometimes, um, you know, in the IFB world. And so it seemed like to me, this was my judgment that I made when I'm seeing a lot of these guys uh, kind of get away from the IFB, start uh, dressing different, bringing in the more contemporary music it seemed to me like these guys were trying to be more appealing to the world, more appealing to the lost. Uh, it seemed to me like they were just trying to avoid all criticism. And so as they started changing everything, you know, and in the IB world, we ain't changing, you know, we we're sticking to the old paths uh, as, and they're changing all these things. And you're, you're seeing them do, do what to me is just weird stuff. You know, like, you know, why are you bringing in these bistro tables? You know, why are you bringing in, uh, you know, why are you not wearing the suit and tie? Why are you doing all these things? And it seemed like they were just always doing whatever was trending. And so I, that's kind of where I came with that term trendy. They're just trying to fit in with the world, be more appealing and liked and distance themselves from that really nasty IFB crowd. And so, you know, that was a term that I use. And in the IFB world, we do like to throw labels around quite a bit so does that make sense to you guys you know what i'm talking about trendy i mean you you have to admit that there's a different look to what you guys do than what we do it's not just the message so much but it's it's often the look and things like that you, you understand what i'm saying well i think i think i do somewhat i think and I, the one that kind of caught me off guard was just the trendy thing because it's almost it, i think it's almost kind of mischaracterizing what trend means because trend is just really just a, a general direction to when something is going. So it's, I would look at the IFB and say, well, you guys are following other trends and you've labeled those trends old paths, which were a new trend at some point. I would, and I would love, you know, from my perspective, kind of being newer to the IFB, I don't even know, like, when is old paths? It's like this, like, kind of nebulous description that doesn't seem to make any sense. <laughs> right. Well, and, and that's, you know, and that's a label I'll accept. Now, 
Uh, I, I just preached a message at another church. It's not out there on the internet for people to hear, but on what are the old paths. And, and I, I preached on the, what I believe the Jeremiah 6, 16 old paths are. Because, yes, uh, old paths, hashtag old paths, you know, it means wearing a suit and tie. It means dress in a certain way. It means King James Bible. It means confrontational soul winning. It, it's, it's the IFB culture. And if you're and you know, Will would probably understand the IFB culture, you know, being from it, but there is, there is a, a culture, you know, there's a way that we dress, there's a way that we sing, there's a way that we act. And uh, a lot of older preachers, they want to preserve that culture. And the thing is, if you're going to preserve something and if you're going to fight for something, it really helps if you have a Bible verse that you can use. And so, you know, Jeremiah 616, you know, we got it right there. But I wish the old past crowd would admit that, you know, Jeremiah 616 doesn't necessarily mean church buses. You know, it doesn't necessarily <laughs> mean, you know, suits shoes and wooden pulpits. <laughs> yeah, right? yeah. No, it's true. That Jeremiah is more referring to, you know, something I mean, Jeremiah was a Jew in Israel, and so he's more <laughs> referring to. Yeah, do that. I have to grow my hair longer by the ears, or? <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, I'm. Go ahead. Well, yeah. Old paths, no. Old paths is uh, off the collar and off the ears. So you have those are the rules to be. On it's the true, paths. and I was very negligent with haircuts. So whenever <laughs> I touched my ears, I was always getting in trouble. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, no. So from I guess labels for me are always. I mean, obviously, this help us kind of put things in certain boxes and, but they're always a little ambiguous and never quite fully nailed down. My, I, I was new to the Twitterverse uh, only recently, essentially. And it was funny when I saw trendies throwing around a lot and I was like, what, who are the trendies? And I, and then through context, I started picking up on what it meant. And You're for like, me, oh, I was, it's me. <laughs> I was like, oh, I'm a trendy. What? Um, and it was funny. Cause uh, I, I found it funny uh, being called the trendy because if I was a pastor in an independent fundamental Baptist church at the time, now it wasn't like the IFB culture. It was very, it actually, when it says independent, it was very much, it was its own little country culture thing. And I mean, dude, we had, we have no budget. The place is half fallen apart. I had bats literally in the attic that we were trying to get rid of. It went the, a leaky basement. And I'm like, I wish I had the budget of some of the trendies because <laughs> uh, my church is falling apart. So I was janitor, maintenance man, all that stuff. So yeah, uh, and with the, I guess that's also where the term fundies uh, that came out ages ago. Fundies, and I know that. And would you say that was always intended to be derogatory? Because that's the way I always kind of took it. Oh, for sure. Yeah. 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 I, I always took it as that. But yeah, and that's kind of where I got trendies too, because it's like, oh, for the fundies, you know, you guys are the trendies. You know? <laughs> yeah, you they know, started we, we like, it. We like to throw names, you know. <laughs> You're right, right. They, yeah. In the IFB world too, you know, once we attach a label to you, you know, then it's just real easy for us to, uh, you know, attack what that is. And, you know, we, we don't always deal with the individual and things, and that's something I, you know, I, I want to just say too, you know, when I when I referred to you guys as queer little maniacs, all right, <laughs> that was definitely uh, that was it, it came off way more personal than I meant it would be. But at the same time, you know, when when I look at the what I call the trendy crowd, you know, I often refer to them as queer little trendies because of a lot of the clothing styles, hairstyles. 
you know, mannerisms, personality. And I'm gonna, you know, and I'm telling you right now, that's one of the big things that in the IFB that causes them to kind of be so hostile towards the other side is, you know, the you know, the old crowd, you know, we don't like that stuff. You know, we don't like the weird hairdos and uh, you know, the tight pants, you know, bring up the skinny jeans all the time, you know. I think a lot of that stuff's effeminate, and I, I think some of it's offensive. I think some of the people that are what I would call leaders in the trendy world are very flamboyant, and uh, and and you hear these preachers all the time. I mean, you hear it on fake sermon and stuff. These guys talking about you know these effeminate, you know sissy britches, you know skinny jean wearing, and you know. I think what we're doing in maybe our own misguided way is we're, you know, fighting to preserve a culture that we're, uh, and we're fighting against a culture that we just don't like. I think that, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I think there's actually some truth to that because uh, I definitely know that, you know, some people just don't like that culture. For me, when I was in uh, fundamentalism, uh, the IFB, if you will, I'm still fundamentalist, but you know what I mean. But uh, when I was in there, it was, for me, it was this uh, complete obsession, though, with like, oh, their hair. And I'm like, who cares about the hair? And then it was, oh, it was their, their purple shirt. I'm like, I don't care about why is that? You know, so for me, it was this whole we're making a big deal about appearances when that – I mean, I know we were told to be modest. That's a biblical thing, but that deals a lot with like vanity and where you're trying to bring attention to. Uh, so for me, that was one of the things that I struggled with. It was like, okay, I don't really care about – a lot of those little things, but I do understand wanting to preserve a culture. And I say this all the time. I have no problem with people having preferences. You and I were talking about that before. Yeah. Um, I have no problem with a tradition, a church that's like, no, we like a traditional feel. I, I had a friend of mine from my old IFB church over yesterday, and he said he likes the high church, all the pomp and circumstance, as he put it. And, you know, I, I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with uh, having a more of a conservative style church, how you want to go about that. I have no problem. People keep preaching out of the King James. I just have an issue when we're making it like this is separation over we're separation worthy. And also I'm going to keep demeaning these other Christians and believers just over appearances or cultural differences. If that makes sense. Right. Yeah, no, I know what you're saying. And I do think that when it comes to a lot of the demeaning and I mean, yeah, we all follow IFB preacher clips and stuff, and we see the stuff that's said. And, you know, I've been to a lot of these meetings. But one thing that I think the other side often doesn't understand is that, you know, when when preachers get together in the IFB world, you know, you are kind of trying to fire up your base. And, you know, there are things that we that aggravate us and trends and things that we don't like. And so the conferences and things is a place to get that stuff off your chest. And so, you know, it does tend to get a little extreme sometimes at these things <laughs> as far as the stuff they're saying. Cause, and, um, you know, I, I think it's important. One thing that, you know, the people who follow the preacher clip saying, and I'll read some of the comments and responses to these things. And it's like, you know, there's hardly any Bible in these preaching you know, you kind of hear the same things all the time. What does that have to do with the gospel? Well, the thing is, when a bunch of preachers get together, you know, they're not there to preach doctrine. They're there to fire each other up. You know, they're they're frustrated over just all the things they're dealing with in the ministry and all the junk that's going on in the religious world. And this is their time to just 
get together and have fun. And, and let it rip. <laughs> and, yeah, and let it rip, tater chip. And when they do, when they get up and they start, you know, hammering on the, you know, these, you know, emergent church, new evangelical, hipster, skinny jean wearing, all that kind of stuff, you know, we, we get fired up because, you know, we don't like it. And so, yes, a lot of stuff gets said from the pulpit. There's no doubt about that, you know, and a lot of it, I think, isn't fun. And you got to understand, too, for the old crowd, a lot of these guys that are preaching that stuff, they grew up in a world where that preaching didn't always leave the four walls so much. I mean, yeah, they sold CDs and things like that, but um, typically you had to pay for them, so they didn't get out that much. And the people that were going to pay for them were people that actually agreed with them and wanted to listen to it. And so now we're kind of in a new era where everyone's here, what we're saying. And so sometimes I don't think they kind of take into consideration how some of this stuff is going to come across and how it's going to be scrutinized and how it's going to be tore apart. And so that's why you see a lot of these uh, guys doing a lot of really dumb stuff and just not changing on it too. Cause it's like, it's like they're oblivious to the fact this is going out on the internet. You know, when John Hamblin's saying his prayer for the 8 millionth time verbatim, he doesn't, I don't think he realizes everybody's seeing this and, you know, is very turned off by it. But in his world, he's at a different church now. He's got a new audience. And it's been a year since they heard that they're not going to remember, you know? So <laughs> I think, I think the minds of a lot of people are, are in a different place than uh, where, you know, ours are. And, you know, and, you know, people, my age, we understand the stuff that's going out on the internet, you know, and some of us, we say it anyway, you know, hoping to, you know, <laughs> kick a, a hornet's nest. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. But yeah. So I, I, I think most of these guys, if you sat down in person and talked with them, it'd be a lot different. But Oh, for sure. I have actually yeah. had great conversations with some of these people who are very fire and brimstone and say crazy, obscene things. Um, or you've I, even mentioned, too, where you have these IFB pastors that don't even want to say these crazy things but feel like they have to continue it because that's what their congregation wants. And there's almost this, like, peer pressure to keep the old paths trend in their church because they think if they don't, then they're going to lose people. In their I seats. would just argue that there's a healthier way to do it. Yes. That's my, like, keep your, keep the pomp and circumstance. You can keep your little more high church feel, more traditional feel. I'm cool with that. I just think if we beat down to, if you beat down to what you do is you're alienating people that could even possibly really be needing the gospel, I could actually probably even use some of that tightropeness that, the fundamentalism brings because I know a lot of people who have been highly addicted to things, horrible backgrounds, and they got into IFB and the IFB is so strict in certain areas that it helped them learn some discipline. And I'm not saying that, so again, I'm not saying there's never a place for any of it. It's just who I feel like sometimes there's a better way to do it than just ripping into other Christians. And that was always right. my issue. It was like when I was I'd be there and sometimes it was a good fun and I would laugh because it was a funny joke. Mm. Other times I'd hear I'm like, ugh. That did not sit right. Like, that was not a good way to hit that. <laughs> well, we kind of, I think we focus on some of the things that are just, they're extra biblical. They're applying preferences to other people. And I think we really recognize that it's it's so awesome when you're saved that you you get to personally experience this sanctification, that you are choosing how to follow Christ the best way you can. You're picking things that, oh, I'm not going to, I, you know, I had porn issues when I before I was saved, so I'm not even going to have a cell phone. So I'm going to set that barrier for me, 
or I'm not going to drink because my father was an alcoholic and I saw how bad that was, so I'm not going to do that for me. But where we get, where we have the problem is, is when, when we say, well, this standard is now also for you or for thee, if we're doing the King James explanation. Mm-hmm. But you know, it's it's it it if you're putting your preferences at the same level as God, and you don't have a biblical foundation for it, you just have to extrapolate upon extrapolate. Like we had the we were talking about skinny jeans and how you went from from thigh to form of the thigh to anything that's even tight is now nakedness. It's like, well, we're really going down a long path to try to explain our preferences in a biblical way. And it just, that's what we're trying to call out. It just doesn't make any sense. And I think you drive people away from the gospel when you do that. That's fair. Well, so here, so I guess this, this is a good subject to kind of talk about for a little bit too, because, you know, I, I hear what you guys are saying on a lot of this stuff, but here's the thing though, you know, you, you know, you often brought, bring up the preferences, you know, extra biblical standards and things like that. But I would, I think it's safe to say, you know, in my case, in my preaching, I don't feel like when I'm preaching a lot of standards that they're necessarily extra biblical. I think they're based off of Bible principle and I'm applying them to today's situation and today's culture. And therefore it is biblical you know, what we're preaching. So for example, you know, whenever you bring up Deuteronomy 22.5, and a woman should not wear that which pertaineth unto man, neither shall man put on a woman's garment. Well, I don't think for a second that, you know, in, you know, Moses's day, they were dressing the way, you know, we do today, you know, the men or the women. But I do believe that when you go back, you know, when, you know, the principle applies that men and women should dress different. So, how does that work today? You know, how does that look? And so then when you see we're in a society too, where they're constantly trying to mix the genders, people don't even know what gender they are. Uh, you know, you have all this unisex gender is a social construct or whatever. <laughs> right. <Good night. laughs> so it seems like, you know, we should be more clear about these things uh, than ever before. And, you know, trying to make these distinctions and, and talking about these things but the thing is, you know, you can't just get up necessarily and say, you know, here's what the verse says. I think you, you need to teach people how to apply it to today. You know, I think because, um, you know, when the Bible says be not conformed to this world. Well, did that only mean that world 2000 years ago? You know, or is that all the time? What does it mean? What does it look like to be conformed to the world now? And so. We're looking at what the world's doing. We're looking at the direction things are going. And we're saying, you know, hey, there's something wrong with this. I think we need uh, I think we need to change some stuff. And so we preach hard on standards and say, you know, this is what it looks like today. And I think I don't think it's you know wrong to do that. I think, you know, everybody follows man-made standards. Everybody, you know, if you know, if. Uh, you know, I'm five foot nine. Okay, that's based on a, sta- a man-made standard. Some men got together and decided what a foot is, and what an <laughs> inch is, and we've all come to accept. You know, the 12 inches is a foot. It's not just anybody's foot. You know, it, that's not. You know, we've accepted a standard, and I think we're in a world today where people want no standards. But no, somebody's got to figure out what these things are. And you know, when it comes to things that are more spiritual and affect the spiritual life, who better to figure out what these things are than God's people? You know, I'm not, I know I'm not going to ask Hollywood and, you know, the fashion industry, <laughs> what's male and female, because I'm seeing what they're doing. So when I look at good, godly 
people, you know, and uh, I, you know, I'd rather hear what they have to say about what's godly and what's male and what's female. So I don't think these are necessarily extra biblical or, you know, preferences. I, and I think they're following Bible commands. Yeah, um, I'll speak to that for a minute. I, I would say, yeah, especially like the whole like not confusing your identity, right? You're, there's male mm-hmm. and there's female. So you don't want to confuse the identity. My point would be the fact that certain things are clearly still fem- like the feminine genes or women genes are very much still structured for a woman's body. And mm-hmm. same with men's. And then when we, I, I don't know exactly, like I said, I, I'm new to you. I've, I've always actually, by the way, been told that you're very nice and that, you know, so I'm not even kidding. Like, even though you've, dro- yeah, you've dropped <laughs> mean things, but I'll, people have said that from the R Fundy camp, oh yeah, Tommy McCurtry is a pretty nice guy. So high praise, I guess. I don't know. But, <laughs> but the, you know, when it comes to these things, I don't know. Are you like a skirts and dresses kind of guy for the girls then? Okay. All right, cool. I yes. just want to make sure I'm not mm-hmm. speaking to something that <laughs> I don't even need to speak to. Mm-hmm. So for me, it was like, okay, so women wear that. And I get it. If you're looking at within like a European mindset, you know, this is how it was. But then when you get to China, women wore pants all the time. And then when you get to Scotland, men wore kilts and that was considered masculine. And so what I was, when I started going, oh, not wearing that which pertains to a man or a woman would be wearing that which is considered masculine or feminine, not so much skirts and trousers, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. That was, that's where I'm coming from there. Yeah. I, yeah, no, I I understand that. And I do think there is some, you know, validity to that to a certain extent. I do think when it comes to the pants issue, which is a super hot button issue. I mean, so many females, yeah, so many females (laughs) are still recovering because they weren't allowed to wear pants growing up, which I don't understand why that was so tragic and why that was so hard. But, you know, that is something that really, you know, bothers them. But the thing is, yeah, I get it. If I saw a guy in a pair of ladies' pants, I'd think he was a homo. You know, that would I would think that was an that'd probably be a fair deduction. <laughs> right. But at the same time, you know, yes, they per they they pertain or were made for. But the thing is, pants that are made for women, I wouldn't. I don't think you make an argument that they're very modest. And so it's like to me, it's the the pants issue. Yes, I do think you know pants have historically been known as a masculine thing. And so, you know, pants for the guys for that reason. But then even if you get into what are considered feminine pants today, I don't think they're modest. And so then I think you're you're out of line with modesty. And again, you know, we are taught in the Bible, you know, women are to adorn themselves in modest apparel. What does that, you know, look like today? You know, how do you how do you do that today? And I think godly people are the best people to consult on that. Yeah, I mean, I think it just depends on the pants. <laughs> like, I, I mean, it's yeah. Some pants are definitely immodest. I think that's inarguable. It's that would be indefensible for me to claim otherwise. But I definitely like my wife. She wears perfectly modest pants. Um, she's actually very mindful. She, she's probably more mindful than even I am. When we were first married, it was well, it was kind of one of those funny things. I'm like, oh, I think that looks fine. She's like, I don't like it because of this. And I was like, oh. I didn't even notice that. Um, so I think it just kind of depends on the situation. But I mean, so I think culture dictates some of those things. Uh, one of the, but that's my position. Obviously, you have yours. Um, and, you know, maybe yours is just, I, I would say, and my view would be that your, that, that IFB position is almost an overcorrection. 
if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why some of the girls probably feel terrible. They have a hard time recovering, quote unquote, from it is, mm-hmm. is an overcorrection. So they feel overly restricted. Um, I mean, that's not, I can't really speak to that. I'm a man. So, right. and I don't know, we're in Michigan. I feel bad for any girl that's got to wear a dress in the middle of the winter. That's true. We had a snowstorm that's, today. That's freaking cold. You know, <laughs> I'm putting on two layers of pants and maybe some Carhartts, and I'm still, I'm still freezing. So I, if I was being forced to wear for dresses, I would be mad. I'm just saying, <laughs> women. I, I get it. Right. Well, and and you know the thing is too. I think when it, when it comes to the IFB world, one of the problems that they've had is the enforcement mechanisms that have been used. Because, you know, I mean, I don't oh, agree with that, yeah. that much in church. And the thing is, I don't, and we don't enforce anything. You know, we don't kick ladies out of our church if they wear pants out in public or even if they come to church in a pair of pants. You know, I don't get up and call them whores and, you know, transvestites and things like that. You know, I, I don't, <laughs> I, I know you. some people do that. Yeah, I don't do that. Um, I understand that, you know, most people, um, they're just following the culture. You know, and uh, I don't think they're a terrible person because of it. But at, at the same time, in the IFB world, I think what created a lot of trouble is you had uh, with the Christian school movement and the Bible college movement, they had all these rules. If you're going to come to the school, you had to agree to this, you had to agree to that. And so they were literally forcing people to dress in ways that they didn't believe in. And it forced people to be fake. And so when it comes to Ooh, ring, ring, family, yeah, <laughs> but yeah, Nailed so it. when it comes to standards, you know, in our church, I preach on standards, but you know, I, this is the way I do it. I get up and I'll let it rip from the pulpit. I'll, sh- I'll sh- share what I believe from the Bible, but then I leave it at that. I don't bother people. I don't harass people. You know, I try to let the Holy spirit deal with them. And so we don't have a Christian school. We don't have a lot of these other things. And so uh, there's really nothing to, enforce and i don't feel like you know that's i I have a right to do that anyway and so um and the truth is i don't want people doing things just because of me i want them to do it for the right reasons and so the thing is there are a lot of women that believe that they should dress this way and a lot of men who believe Mm -hmm. in these standards and 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 there's a lot of people who practice them and do not believe in it. And they're often the ones that are going around trying to enforce it in the church because if they, if we have to do it, they've got to do it too. Well, <laughs> if you really believe it, who cares what, what everybody else is doing? And so the problem is a lot of these people that are coming out of our way are people who were forced to be fake. And so now it's like, everybody's just fake, you know? And I don't think that's right either. No, some of us really believe in these things and um, you know, and so I, I think, I think that's where a lot of the problem was. I think the way it's been enforced over the years has been out of line. Um, there's been a lot of, you know, just nasty peer pressure in a lot of churches. I mean, if, if, if a woman got caught by one of the church members out wearing pants at Walmart or something like that, she's going to be talked about it and she knows it. Yeah. So, uh, that's another reason too, you know, I've, you know, you know, you try to keep the gossip out of the church and things like that and tell people to mind their own business. And uh, <laughs> that preach. way you don't, yeah, that way you don't create that environment. And so I think a lot of people associate what I think are good things, you know, like dress standards and, uh, you know, music standards, whatever they associate with a lot of bad, with a lot of bad stuff, because there was, there was a lot of junk in churches, but you, you're just gonna have a tough time convincing me. A lot of these things were, you know, that, that, that they're bad or wrong. 
And that's why I always tell people never sin against your conscience. I know plenty of women who are like, well, I really feel this is the way I should dress. I'm like, okay, cool. Then I will don't sit against your conscience. You know, I, I've mm-hmm. mentioned that multiple times. I think, and that's the problem. Like you said, the enforcement mechanism, I think is a huge issue. And I, you kind of nailed it. It forced people to be fake. And you've heard me talk about that. Yeah. So I was like, when they, when well, you show up, church. because you want, you agree with the doctrine, right? So, you know, mm-hmm. you go to this IFB college. I want, I, you know, I like the doctrine. I like these distinctives. I like these things. And then you go there, but they're like, nope, this is the cookie cut. You have to behave. And that's, and I guess that's where we got wrong in our response video. Cause I mentioned when it came to diversity, you were talking about diversity amongst your guys' styles of IFB mm-hmm. preachers. And I was like, well, the IFB is always enforcing this. And I guess you're right. It's more the colleges and schools enforcing this type of standard. And, uh, you know, because my pastor growing up would be more considered along that nature. He would speak about things, but then he wouldn't be enforcing it into people's homes and stuff. You just mm-hmm. let God kind of work through that, however God saw it. So anyway, right. so. And, I yeah, and the just, Bible. Co- yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, and we, we just don't want to split hence the name, split on preferences. Uh, I think it's ridiculous when when you see this is like a massive problem in the American church, and I think you probably have some issues with a lot of the evangelicals doing the same thing, splitting over over really ridiculous standards that they're, they're saying are biblical but are not, or it's their preference and something happened that's affecting their per, their preference on that or their perspective on it. We just don't think you should be splitting over it. You don't see churches in Acts, you don't see churches in the New Testament splitting over dumb issues. You have Paul calling out people that were not preaching the gospel, and I think we've just lost all track of focusing on the gospel because we're focusing on genes or music, and we've, we're like, okay, there's this culture over there that we really don't like, and we're just going to run so far away from it that we're, we're losing people. We're actually forcing people to go to progressive Christian churches or become atheists because they have such a horrible experience with judgmental Christians. And I don't have a problem with judging, but I'm just saying when it just becomes so obnoxious, like you can't be in church because you're wearing jeans, or you can't do this because, oh, you pulled out an ESV Bible or something stupid. It's just like, come on, guys. This is, There's so many more things that are against the church than these these little preferences. And I just don't think that we should be fighting over them. And that's why we're trying to call it out because we don't think it's right. Right. Well, yeah, on one hand, I can agree with some of what you said. On the other hand, though, you know, some of these things are very important to us. You know, like, for for example, you know, the, the Bible version issue, you got to understand that is very important to a lot of us. You know, and, you know, Will, I know you're from an IFB background. You know, that's a, that's a big deal. You know? I'm about and, four King James Bible study on my yeah. shelf over there from the past. Yeah, absolutely. I still use them, right. by the way. I, right. So the thing is, splitting over. right. Well, yeah. And so while that's your uh, position on that, you know, it is in the, for the IFB world, that is something we hold very near and dear. And for the very reason too, that, you know, I feel like it's hard to find common ground with somebody because when they don't believe, you know, we have a perfect Bible. Because to me, I think everybody would say, you know, hey, I believe the Bible, I believe it's the Word of God and all that. But then it's like, if you believe there's mistakes and it's not perfect, then it's like, I, I don't feel like we could ever come to any resolution on anything. Where it's like, if you really do believe the Bible, if I can show you enough, and if I can, you know, then you're going to come around. But if you don't even believe what we have is authoritative and or that it's flawed then it just seems like we're probably never going to get anywhere and so i you know that's 
you know, in, in the IFB world, you're you're just not going to convince, you know, most people in it that are King James only that this is not an issue worth splitting over. And so, that's too um, bad. Yeah, and that's I think this is probably one of these areas where we're going to disagree. You know, and because I, I, you know, I'll say too when it comes to a lot of, you know, the standards and uh, things like that. You know, I might. You know, I can still be friends with some people. There's, there's, there's people at Idea Day that you know I still consider friends, and it's just like, you know, I don't agree with them going there. You know what? They don't like some of the meetings that I go to and some of the preachers I hang out with. And you know, I, you know, they're not going to come preach at my church. They're not going to invite me to come preach at their church. But if they were in town, I go out to dinner with them. I'm friendly with them. But it's like, the the I think the reason we're seeing so much fighting going on though is because in the IFB world where um, you know, we do believe in these old paths that, you know, we consider old paths, hashtag old paths, whatever you want to call them, <laughs> you know, the standards, the King James Bible, all these things that we're not changing on, you know, we're seeing a lot of change happening, you know, and we're constantly losing people, you know, to the other side on these things. And these things are important to us. And so when you have groups out there that, I mean, literally, you know, have podcasts dedicated to trying to pull people out of our camp, you know, there's going to be some hostility towards oh, sure. that. And, and so, and then too, when you start see them uh, changing on things that you could say, you know, I, that I would admit are somewhat preferential, even though I think they're important, you know, if their music standards become a little more liberal than I do, you know, if their auditorium look becomes a little more modern, you know, one thing that, I think we've all seen is that it always starts with a lot of those little things. And then before you know it, the big things start happening, you know, and then, and, and it is, it's a big thing in the IFB world when a guy loses his King James Bible, you know, and I, I think it's always going to be a big deal for our crowd when that happens. Oh and, yeah, definitely. But, yeah. But that, and you know, and I'm, I'm somebody too, who is not the most popular guy in the IFB world because <laughs> you don't on, say. I'm different, yeah, I'm different on eschatology. You know, I don't. Oh yeah, you're post trib, right? Yeah, I'm a post trib pre wrath yeah. guy. Uh, I believe in replacement theology, and, but yet, you know, when it comes to my practices and how our churches and our music and all that, you know, I'm very old past. And um, and the thing is, I get it that that pre trib thing is is very important to these people. And so, you know, while I don't think it's worth breaking fellowship over, you know, I have pre-trib people, pre-trib people come preach for me. Uh, you know, they, you know, it's not the other way around, you know, but I, at the same time, I understand where they're coming from. And so, you know, sometimes we just have to it just admit that, you know what, we've got these differences. We're just not going to be able to fellowship. And I've had some people that I like a lot who, I've invited to come preach for me and they don't want to, you know, and I don't know if it's the pre-trib stuff, my position Israel, things like that. Um, and it's like, I'm disappointed. You know, I think they're wrong on their position. I even think they're wrong on their response and not wanting to fellowship with me. But here's one thing I would not do. I would never go and try to, you know, attack their church and go after their church and try to get their people to leave that church and come to one like mine or come to mine, you know, over something, you know, like end times, you know, where that's something I, I don't think it's worth breaking fellowship over, but
but a lot of them do, and I get it. And I think, you know, you guys, you know, and maybe Will Moore, because of the background you're from, I would think you would get, you know, not break, people breaking fellowship over the King James issue. Oh, I definitely, yeah, I understand the King James issue pretty thoroughly <laughs> um, <laughs> as I was staunch on it. In fact, I just talked to my friend the other day who one of the last things I said when we hung out was, uh, I was like, I'm never move, lose, I'm never moving from this position. This is <laughs> never going to move. And mm-hmm. more I studied, I moved. Uh, that's why I've, mm-hmm. we, on our channel, we have an entire playlist of me discussing the issues. Like what? 12, I don't know, eight episodes. How many it's a lot. I it's a lot. <laughs> I had to watch it all. Um, but no, I definitely understand why some of these things, you're kind of speaking to, uh, what we, we talk about, like you're saying that, your eschatology difference uh, shouldn't mm-hmm. break fellowship. I agree. Uh, someone's uh, view on eschatology shouldn't uh, split things. And that's kind of why the point of what we're doing is like, okay, well, some of these things are things that people have debated about for the last 2,000 years in Christianity, if mm-hmm. you go all the way back. So there's no sense in splitting over some of those. We can still have fellowship, you know? Like, before I, I even met with you, there's people telling me not to get on tonight to talk with you because of, you know, you're on a vastly different side of a of the aisle than me. And I'm like, well, if he believes in Jesus Christ, same as me, I feel like we can have some sort of fellowship, at least get to know each other, even if we disagree. Mm-hmm. And that's the point of the church split, is trying to unite the body through our differences even. And sometimes have a good, solid debate and then walk, walk away and give each other knuckles and say, hey, love you, bro. I still think you're wrong. <laughs> that's what the right. Jews did, right? They were constantly debating yeah, each the other. Yeah, the Jews did they were, a lot. They were very argumentative and still are, and I, I think we both are kind of argumentative too. But the, the point is, I think if we discuss something openly, we're accepting that there is such, such thing as objective truth. And if we discuss it long enough and with enough focus on what we would consider objective truth standards like the Bible, then we should be able to find the truth. And I just think when we ignore that and go, no, I'm right, I'm not changing, or there's no way that you're, that you're right and I'm wrong, I think we lose a lot. And I think like the, the King James only thing, I think you lose a lot of the, the textual criticism arguments for the supremacy of the Bible by excluding so much of the, the basic texts that build a lot of the translations. And I think we're just spoiled as English people when we have so many different English translations that we're splitting over, and there's other countries that don't have a Bible in their language at all. To be fair, we have garbage translations. I do want to say that. <laughs> there are just, some really bad the ones. Message Bible and the Passion Translation need to go, man. <laughs> like, <laughs> but you we can see that be- find common ground there. <laughs> but you can see that because you can compare them, and I think that's something that we're, oh, that's true. we're, we're so lucky to have that we don't even realize. <laughs> right. Well, the thing is, too, though, there's a lot of doctrinal you know, issues, too. And so the thing is, you can get really bogged down with the, you know, the debate and the fighting and all that kind of stuff. And so the thing is, you know, I feel like the doctrinal differences in the world are growing. I would credit I would credit a lot of that to all the new translations of the Bible, because now, you know, if you don't like what one Bible says. You can find something that probably says more along what, the lines of what you want it to say. And so, you know, it, it just I, don't know, I feel like I'm wasting my time if, you know, spending a whole lot of time with somebody if they don't have that belief, you know, uh, we, we kind of need to be on the same page there. Now, don't get me wrong. I still, I talk to people a lot who disagree with me on a lot of things because um, one thing that I, I try to do too, if I'm preaching against another position, I did, I, uh, I preached a series of messages about a year ago um, on uh, talking about preter- against preterism. 
and stuff. And so before I did that, I wanted to make sure I understood a lot of their positions. And so I talked to, I think, three or four different people who held that position, you know, and we had some really good conversations. Some of the people I talked to, I thought, you know, these are safe people. These are my brothers, uh, but they're, you know, they're off on some stuff. There were some that I talked to. I'm like, man, there is no way that person's safe. And not just because they're wrong on, you know, end times, but just some of the beliefs that it was, just, it was just horrible. But the thing is, you know, when it comes to certain subjects, it's just like some, some of the difference are just, are just too big. And it's like, I'm not saying they're all lost and not my brother or anything like that, but it's like, when it comes to some things, it's like, I, I, I just don't really want to waste a lot of time with that person. And so, you know, some stuff I'll, I'll leave them alone. So for example, too, I think on your, I've seen from your program too, you know, you're dispensational and um, I'm, you know, well, I saw you had a guy doing dispensational. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we have different yeah. people come on. So I haven't okay. said what my position is on any of those things yet. I'm waiting to do that. <laughs> okay. But yeah, so like, yeah, I'm non-dispensational. I, I don't like dispensationalism at all. And, but the thing is, there are, uh, there's a lot of people who would consider themselves dispensational to a certain extent that, you know, I'd still fellowship with and I'd even let them come preach for me. You know, there's, there's certain lines I draw. When they start teaching different ways of salvation in the Old Testament, versus the New Oof, Testament, yeah. and another <laughs> yeah. way of salvation Ugh. in the tribulation, then it's like, all right, I I don't want to I don't want to have anything to do with you. And so, uh, and but then there's some too, you know, like the ones that are just kind of the law, the ch- uh, church, the kingdom. They kind of have those three divisions. You know, I, I I can put up with a lot of that stuff, but even with some so where I disagree with them, I would never treat them so much like an enemy, you know, but I'm not really going to look to fellowship with a lot of them too. You know, you know what I'm saying? Cause again, I just don't want to get too tied up to people that I feel are going in the wrong direction. We just have too many differences. I don't think I, to me, it seems like when you unite, when the bodies start uniting, I see more compromise. It just, it always seems, it seems like too, and I'm speaking, you know, I'm, I'm broad brushing here, but in people, what I would call the trendy camp, it, it, they're, I think they're uniting way too much with too many people. And, and it seems like it all leads back to, you know, they, they all want to get that Protestant connection. It's like they're, they're still, I think they still believe in the mother church and that the Catholic church just went wrong somewhere and that they're, you know, but I'm like, no, we're totally separate from that, but. To be fair, they probably call us trendies. What's that? (laughs) To be fair, the Catholic Church probably calls us trendies. So, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, maybe. But, but yeah, but I mean, I I think you know, you know, don't you agree though? There's just some differences that you can say. All right, we've got these. These are big deals. Maybe I don't want to be your enemy. I don't want to fight with you, but you can't be buddy buddy. Well, I think. Well, I think the you know there are definitely some lines, and I think we would agree with the lines are those that are based in scripture I, that our issue is only the lines that are not. Um, and I think too, you know, we're called to for the, through the great commission to reach out to people that don't agree with us all. Right. I'd, I see a lot more differences between me and an atheist than me with a Methodist. So, you know, I think we should be reaching out and I think there's a lot of unity. And I think Paul talks about that in first Corinthians about, Hey, 
you know, it's not playing card apostles here like, oh, I'm a Paul guy, I'm an Apollos guy. Like he says, we're all building on the same foundation. And I think we're doing the same thing that the, first, that the Corinthian church was doing is, is they were just fighting over who they, who, which man of God were they following. And I think that's where you see a lot of the problems. I would say there are some obviously things to divide over. I mean, obviously like someone denying the deity of Christ, I, that's going to be really, really tough to have. I'll be like, okay, yeah, but at church we recognize the deity of Christ, so why are you here? Yeah. <laughs> but uh, the other thing, but for me, I still, I wouldn't say like, you know, I would still befriend these people because a lot of times I've been able to influence people. In fact, uh, in fact, let's, I'll mention that. I won't mention her name, but we had a person who was, uh, we're, we've been very uh, harsh on progressive Christianity. Yes, extremely. <laughs> very harsh on progressive Christianity because it is heresy. So <laughs> to put it bluntly, uh, so we've been very harsh on in our podcast and on our channel and this and this girl came who was a progressive Christian, and she was I mean, she was not thrilled. And so we went back and forth, commented, exchanged. I sent her our email. Long story short, and I mean, this was a person who was openly bisexual, the whole nine. I mean, you are talking progressive Christian. And through us, we're like, oh, hey, look, let's try to befriend you. You know, we're definitely going to disagree, and I will tell you every single time I disagree with you, out of love. And uh, mm-hmm. she just repented of it all, like, two days ago and got eaten alive by her woke brothers and sisters essentially, but she repented of all of it and is now was like, Nope, I have to pursue Christ and what God says is true. So I feel like if you, if we push too far away from people we disagree with, we lose the opportunity to, to do that. Uh, and I think, I guess it just depends where you take separation. Um, I guess some IFB take separation as let's create our own little protective bubble and other ones go, well, I'll be your friend, but, I can't be close, close friends with you where you edify me because I'm basically discipling and mentoring you. So I guess depends how you how you slice the pie. Right. Well, shouldn't a shouldn't a call to unity though be a call to agreeing on specific, you know, some specific things? You know, because obviously you mentioned the deity of Christ, mm-hmm. and it, and so the thing is, you know, we can't have unity with somebody who you know denies the deity of Christ. You know, mm-hmm. you can't. You can't have unity with somebody who teaches another form of salvation. Mm-hmm. And so it, it just seems like, though, uh, you know, and maybe in your camp, there's just fewer things that you think are necessary and would consider secondary or, you know, yeah, I would say, still think they're important. I don't yeah. even know if it'd be fewer things. I think it's just it's just biblical things. things. Yeah, or like ours is like orthodoxy, like the very yeah. fundamentals of the faith. What are the most fundamental things of the faith? You know, virgin birth, deity of Christ, salvation through faith, you know, faith and faith and all that stuff. Those would be but like about, our fundamentals. But how about then inspiration of the scriptures? Because, again, if we don't have perfection in our scriptures, then we don't have inspiration. You know, how can the man of God be perfect, truly furnished if we have a flawed message, if we have an incomplete message, you know, so to me, I mean, right up there with the deity of Christ and all these other things, you know, and, and a lot of people give lip service to the inspiration of scriptures. Well, you know, I believe they're inspired in the originals, but, you know, we don't have the originals, but, you know, and here's something I, I've, I guess I've, I've wanted to ask people from the non-KJV crowd and just, I've never asked anybody this question before. It's something I thought of recently, but do you believe that in Jesus's day, when he was on earth, 
that they had a perfect Hebrew Old Testament still. Um, well, ooh, there's a few things to unpack there. <laughs> um, so one, I would say, okay, you know, first I'll answer the one about Jesus, then I'll go over here. <laughs> and uh, okay. Jesus, uh, he, I mean, he did quote from a few of different sources uh, back then. I would say that, you know, the Jews were methodical about keeping record. That's why the Dead Sea Scrolls, uh, which are ancient, ancient, even match much later Hebraic uh, copies. They were just so meticulous at it. So I would say, you know, you know, if anyone had access to it, it'd be back then. And I still, for the most part, there's the, the it seems like there's the least in the manuscript history variations in Hebrew um, and the Aramaic, because again, those are mostly held by the Jews. And it, when things get crazy is uh, where you see the biggest variations is usually the New Testament writings. And that's because it exploded, the resurrection of Christ exploded the ancient world. And so it, it went all over the place and illiterate people were even copying back and forth uh, certain things. So that's why we have over 25,000 manuscripts uh, that we could trace all the way back to like within like 50 years of the resurrection-ish. And that's why I say my position is the fact that, not that we don't have an infallible scripture. I mean, that we would, and the trendy camp, I'll, I'll use your term, uh, would say that, no, we have, we have infallible scripture. The, the thing is that what we do is we build it up from all the manuscript history, and then we go, these are the oldest ones, these are the majority ones, where do they harmonize each other? And so it's more like, and I guess that's where the whole King James and whatever debate comes. The majority text, the one where the most is best or oldest is best, because the oldest are have like the less in it. So there are certain phrases that are completely not in there. And then the majority text has added things. And most scholars agree that people tend to add over time to harmonize as opposed to remove. Now, um, that's probably a debate for another time, but that would be my quick answer well because i mean i guess the thing is you know i i think it's pretty clear they would have had you know a completed perfect scripture when jesus is saying things you know not one jot or tittle is going to pass from law to all be fulfilled you know that just kind of implies that you know hey you, everything that's there in the scripture you can trust that it's going to come to pass mm -hmm. and the thing is if they even had a, a a perfect bible you know old testament in jesus day that was a great miracle when you consider all that took place in Israel, the fact their temple was destroyed and uh, all the sieges they had been under and the fact that they, you know, succeeded in preserving those scriptures. It, it was a great thing. It was a miracle. You know, it was a miracle. And I, I believe very strongly in the miracle of preservation. I think it had to be done. Oh, I agree. And I do. And I do think, though, you know, I think the evidence and, you know, obviously, we're, you know, we don't want to go too deep in it. You know, the evidence is that it's in the King James Bible. But so the thing is, for those who do strongly believe that you're that is going to be a foundational thing. And it's just like if, if, if you can't if you don't even believe Jesus is God, then there's just no reason to continue on with this. And it's like if you have a problem with our book, you know, it's just like I don't really see how we can have fellowship and. What if they speak uh, a different think, language, though? What if they speak a different language? Yeah, well, you're the, the guy from is, South Africa on two days ago. Well, it doesn't mean he's not a brother. I mean, I think he's got to use the best what he has. And, you know, uh, you know I think I don't think everybody who's not King James only isn't saved. But I think That's they're good. heading in the wrong direction. 
you know, is that that's the thing that I think. And so it's like we're seeing so much apostasy going on in the world. We're we're seeing so much, uh, so many people, you know, leaving, you know, fundamentalism, old paths or whatever. And so the thing is, it all seems like one of the big things that hinges around is the, you know, King James issue. And so the thing is, when you see people go in the wrong direction, you know, you're going to get freaked out where there are, there's other people, they just haven't been taught any better. I believe they're saved. I mean, I, you know, we, we go out, when we go out, we go out sowing every week and we talk to people from other churches all the time that aren't King James only. And these people give really solid salvation testimonies. I believe they're saved. I'd be nice to them, but it's like when you start teaching that something's wrong, you know, I, I got a big problem with that. And so people in other countries, you know, I think they're, you know, they need to use whatever the best is that they have. But I also think it's going to be harder for them, you know, not having a perfect, you know, translation. And how do they get gonna... one? I'm sorry. I, that was, <laughs> right. uh, do they have to translate well, from the Texas people that are, or? That's, that's people that are smarter than me. You know, obviously, uh, I thought it was inspired. I, I only... I'm, I only know English, so, you know, I, uh, I'm i not the best one to speak on that. I dumb American. I'm but if, if the Holy Spirit – this is this is the thing that bothers me. If the Holy Spirit is, is strong enough to inspire the King James only translation, the King James Bible, isn't, isn't he also powerful enough to inspire a, I don't know, Swahili Bible? Well, the thing is, it's not like the King I, – I, I don't – I'm not like – I don't believe like the Ruckmanites where the King James – you know, got like another, another source of inspiration. <laughs> um, I just believe if you accurately translate something that's inspired, then you still have that inspiration. So, Fair you know, if a Spanish Bible is accurately translated, it's going to be inspired too. And so um, the thing is, when it comes to, uh, well, even so some of the older English Bibles, like, you know, the Bishop's Bible and stuff that were. I was just about to ask you about them. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think people were getting saved. From those, you know, I even though uh, they might have had some, you know, issues somewhere, but at the same time, you know, I think those were kind of building blocks to, you know, get us to where we are. And so the thing is, though, when there's obvious flaws, you know, you got to fix it. And I don't Mm -hmm. see that happening with these other versions where you can find clear contradictions right there, you know, within their own pages. And I don't think you can do that in a King James Bible. I know people say they do all the time, but I don't think there's any contradictions. I think the fact that there are no contradictions in it, I think that's just proof that God put his stamp of approval on it and his Holy Spirit's all over it. Because, you know, the Bible, God's word isn't going to contradict itself. And so when you have all these other versions contradicting themselves, then it's like, all right, you know, we, we got a problem here. And so... Um, when it comes to some countries and some languages, you know, unfortunately, because those countries are just so dead and there's not much uh, gospel witness there, there's not much effort uh, put into translating those Bibles. And, and you know, and it shows in the culture. And I think we, we often uh, see improvements in countries whenever they get them. You know, I, I believe it was the King James that is the reason we got out of the Dark Ages. You know, from what I understand uh, you know, they're saying that the Reign of Valera 2010 is like a perfect Bible now. I don't know. But at the same time, if it is, I personally believe we're going to see a lot of wonderful things happen in the Spanish speaking world because of the fact that they've got something that's pure. And so um, I think what we're seeing in our country religiously is we're th- seeing th- everything fall apart. And I attribute it to these other versions of the Bible. 
See, I would say so. A couple things on that is so. I mean, the King James version was considered the liberal Bible before the Geneva. I mean, after the Geneva. So everyone, it's like everyone was like Geneva Bible only us back in the day. Old pass. <laughs> yeah, that was their old pass. And uh, it, so um, my thing is, it's like so. I have a hard time first off believing that uh, the Bible is only preserved in the King James for English speaking people in the last four hundred years. So like we didn't really have a good Bible beforehand. Um, that's one of those issues. Also, how do we got the King James deals with the Texas Receptus, which was, was Texas Receptus, which is compiled of about less than a dozen manuscripts. And then you get to like now where we have like 25,000 manuscripts. It's like, oh, I think we have more things to pull from to see if things were added to, if scribes got something wrong. And that's, I guess that's my position. But I guess we'll have to agree to disagree on that. Right. So I, yeah. mean, and, I don't think we're going to find it. Yeah. Yeah we, could, yeah, we could talk about this issue all night. But, uh, but I, guess, I, will, I will say, I do understand why uh, IFB, especially because if that's with what they believe, I do understand mm-hmm. why they separate it. And that was actually one of the things for me. That was the last leg. Uh, I was like, I just, I, then once I studied, I was like, I don't think this holds up. But I do understand why. And also, I have no problem with the King James. And that's why exactly. uh, I've gone to plenty of churches. Uh, my church, uh, one of my good friends, he uses the King James, preaches out of the King James. And it's not a King James only uses, but he uses it. I'm I'm neutral if somebody wants to use the King James because I still find it fine. Of a good translation, obviously. I mean, that thing is amazing. It what was done with just a few manuscripts is highly impressive. I will just say that. Props. <laughs> yes. Props. <laughs> good Anglican. So right. yeah. And so I guess the main point I'm trying to make is I I would definitely, I think as well as many other people in the IFB, would add to just some of the musts that have to be there in that call to unity is on this, you know, issue of the King, of, of the King James. And so, um, and again, there's, there's people out there that, uh, you know, they're in, they're in the camp where they're, they mainly use the King James, you know, they believe in the inspiration in the originals and, you know, they're King James preferred. And it's like, I'm not necessarily looking to just go fight with all these people and, and make enemies out of them and stuff like that. But at the same time, too, you know, I'm not going to have close fellowship with them. Yeah, I, well, I kind of feel like the King James only issue for a lot of the IFB as well. If it's just not, if it's not broke, don't fix it kind of thing. You know, it's like, well, this has worked for us for X amount of years. It's re- reliable. It's dependable. It's a little weird to get used to all the these, thys, and, you know, giveths and uh, mm-hmm. all of that. You know, and like I said, I have no qualms with the King James. In fact, when I did my uh, King James only series on my channel, I had a lot of people go, you just hate the King James. Like, no, no, I actually have more King James in my house. Calm down. Yeah, calm down. <laughs> than anything else. I'm just not a King James only is, especially of the vein of, of the Ruckmanites, which thank the Lord that you're not. So because the Ruckmanites mm. is all, wow, you need a study on the Ruckmanites. You don't know I them don't very well. To. You need oh, to, man. you need to look into it. It's a trip. <laughs> you yeah. see enough crazy, but uh, you know, I think I don't see the, I think you're making a big leap in logic though. When you say, well, when we see people running away from the church, it's, it's because of the, they lost the King James version. I think that's, that's just, it's just one straw in many. And I think you see a lot of people that might take a step away from the IFB that are still very focused on the fundamentals of the faith and might not have the King James. And I, I think it's just, it, I think it's an extrapolation that doesn't play out logically, but I think when you do hold so many of these preferences so tight 
and their grip is so strong that when something slips out, you're like, oh, it was because of the King James version. It was because they put jeans on. And I, I just think, I, it, I think it's illogical. And I think it, that's where I see the disunity problem. And I think when you squeeze so tight, when you're applying your preferences to other people, that's when you see them go. It's not because they lost the King James. It's because you were trying to force your preferences on them. I generally say extremes make weak Christians. Yes. So an extreme conservatism makes weak Christians because they were protecting the little bubble. They had a certain ideology. And then when we got in the real world, it fell apart. And when they looked into certain things, it kind of fell apart. But then you go to extreme, like fluffy evangelical uh, what does jeff durbin called the ev- evangelical fish <laughs> that's funny i don't care who you are that's funny um but you go there to this all love and just feel good right and i'm like okay i feel both of the and this one just creates people who are ill-equipped uh, now i will say then the fundies like the fundies crowd if we can use that term i prefer call it the ifb because i feel like fundies is too derogatory i have a lot of friends still in the ifb so I, again i whatever but you know, at least they create good, strong doctrine. <laughs> Sometimes we yeah. get too far over in the like the progressive stuff; it gets a little too watered down for my preference, and I think it gets bad. Yeah, I think shed <laughs> some of the preferences, and man, you guys really got it. I, honestly, I don't hate the IFB. Mm-hmm. I think it's just some of these preferences are getting in the way of the gospel, or especially maybe the presentation with some of it, as you already yeah. talked about. Well, and I yeah, and I I do think. That's one of the areas, too, where sometimes we need to talk because there are just definitely differences in uh, some of our words and terminology. You know, you would consider some of these preferences. We're just not gonna, we're not going to accept that, you know, that, that that's a preference, you know. And so it's like it's one of those areas where we just draw the line. And we just have, you know, we say this is where we're different. And so, you know, if, if maybe you add when you're talking about us and our position on King James only, while to you it's a preference, you know, you need, I I think there needs to be some recognition to the fact that to them, it's not a preference in their mind. It is fundamental. Oh, yeah, definitely. I think they come by it honestly. Mm -hmm. I don't think they're doing it because they're, they just want to control people. And I I don't agree with, you know, how the atheists will say that, oh, religion was just made up to control people. I don't think that's it at all. But I think it's all coming out of, uh, a very strong sense of trying to follow in Christ. Why I would call it a preference is because you can't point to the Bible where it says the King James Version is the inspired Word of God. Yeah, and and that's an argument that or I guess only. Said, yeah, and uh, I, I I I keep wanting to keep going on this. But <laughs> it's of, a fun topic. Get, so sorry. Yeah, 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 we should probably move on. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, the thing is, oh, yeah. Let, let's move on because I don't I don't want to open another can of worms there. Yeah, we can, but, we can, uh, hey, we can always have a return conversation. Just. Talk about the textual issue. That'd be fun. I really don't care about the issue. I just find it interesting. (laughs) Right. Well, because something I did want to talk about, I I really want to make sure we get to this because um, is the the preaching uh, differences, you know, the topical preaching, expository preaching. I think that could be a fun one. And I think there's probably a lot of stuff that we would agree with on that. But um, I know that was one of the things we mentioned in emails that we were wanting to to talk about. So, um, yeah, I mean, IFB preaching, okay? Uh, you know, I, and your crowd, uh, and, and, and again, when I'm talking about your crowd, I found out about you guys, you know, kind of through Twitter, and I do. I follow a lot of, uh, originally it was kind of the uh, uh, IFB preacher clips one. I've always enjoyed that account. Uh, I got blocked by them. Again, uh, <laughs> very disappointed, very disappointed. I, 
And I didn't even do anything to them. I, ha I haven't argued with them in a long time, but they got mad at me when I was going after J.C. Groves the other day. But anyway, um, you know, I see a lot of the, you know, there's, there's a lot of criticism that I see uh, on there. And so that's kind of where I've like connected everybody and how I found out about the recovering fundamentalists and how I found about you guys and some of the other ones, podcasts and things that are out there. So um, I'll admit there's some bad preaching on there. There's some <laughs> really bad preaching. I will also say though, that a lot of the preaching on there is very misunderstood preaching. So maybe a way we can kind of go into this, because I don't know how much time how much time you guys have. I was kind of hoping maybe to go at least till seven thirty, uh, but um, that's cool. Yeah, I, I, I'm in, I'm in no big hurry. But I guess what are your guys's main issues with IFB preaching? All right, point, when it's wrong, just kidding. Point <laughs> I number A. No, I'm just kidding. I, uh, so, um, actually, funny. Um, my, growing up, you know, being independent fundamental Baptist, my pastor was excruciatingly expository, uh, very doctrinal. In fact, when I went to Bible college, I like just aced Bible doctrine, and everyone's like, "I'm learning so much." I'm like, "I'm bored," <laughs> because my my pastor was so good at teaching it. I just had it nailed down. Uh, but then I went to Fairhaven. And heard a whole nother level of certain things. And not all the time, but just depended who was behind the pulpit. Uh, and that's one of the things that I don't – I try not to broad brush the entire IFB because I know that there's variations. But, uh, yeah, that sometimes it, it's just so – it's the shallow topical things. It's just the I'm going to sit here and talk for an hour and a half on skirts and pants. And when I leave church, I'm not like, wow, I was edified today. <laughs> Okay, I mean, even if you have the skirts and pants position, um, which I don't, but I know you do, which is fine. I'm not going to sit here and argue. We already talked about that. But even if that, it's like hour and a half talking about just that issue, isn't this where you should wrap around at some point to your identity in God, what God calls men and women, what your role is as a man and a woman, and just like kind of bring it into round to something a bit more applicable to me, when I'm at home, say my wife already wears skirts. <laughs> what did I learn? I learned nothing. I just got to sit there and browbeat for an hour and a half. So sometimes it's just, or, you know, the music thing, they'll sit there and blast music. And some people can't even live up to their own music standards, which as a musician, I found incredibly annoying. That was one, actually, the music was the number one thing that got me to start leaving from the IFB because no one, it's like, they were like, oh, this syncopation is all wrong. I'm like, syncopate. <laughs> Plenty of things oh, are syncopated. Gosh. Even our hymns are syncopated. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, as a musician, I was like, this doesn't make sense. And that those were some of the things. So I guess the shallowness of the preaching and then the name calling of other IFB organizations. Like when I was at Fairhaven, they bashed Hiles. And I didn't understand it. I was, but, but. Same team, guys. Yeah, I thought we were the same team. Like, <laughs> so um, things like that where it's just like, why are we attacking people behind the pulpit? Isn't this where we're supposed to be learning about the word of God? Why are we uh, just preaching shallowly for an hour and a half on a small issue? Uh, it'd be one thing if it was an issue that wasn't really addressed often, but it was like a lot. So those are some of my issues. Go ahead and wax eloquently yeah. here. <laughs> well, that, that's interesting you mentioned that there too, because I, I was kind of wanting to ask you about this. Fairhaven... Um, I've known a lot of people from that college. I've always liked them and they've, you know, all the ones that I've known, but Fairhaven people have always hated me and I've never known why. I mean, 
And I'm talking about like before I was maybe they preached against you. I, I, well, the, I mean, the thing is, it was before before I was even on YouTube and any, you know anybody knew who I was. It was like I've always had a tough time getting to know these guys, and they, I mean, are they like just really exclusive there? Or yeah, I was gonna say it's because have... it's an exclusive club. It's very. I, I know a lot of good people there. I saw you know there. I saw one of the guys. Uh, not Vogel, not Vogelin. Uh, he was on Preacher Clips, but another guy at Fairhaven, and he, he was he's such a good guy. Like and and it was on Preacher Clips, and just some people get really nasty on Twitter. Uh, there actually some guy went after you over something stupid, and I I'm not sure if you even saw, it, but I defended you on that because yeah, they were saying basically that all this money you paid for a studio, oh yeah, that, was uh, that you should oh, give it to the yeah. poor, and I was like, shut up. That's yeah. a dumb art. Stop it. You're doing <laughs> this from dumb. a smartphone. Ironic. Yeah. And he says, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, um, but yeah, it's kind of, it's very exclusive. And they look, I mean, when they're talking that Hiles Anderson doesn't have high enough standards. And I'm like, I don't know many places stricter than Hiles Anderson and Fairhaven. Like they have very similar strict right. tightrope. Well, so I don't know. It's weird. Yeah, I said I always had a tough time getting to know them, and you know I try to be friends, and it was just they're always real standoffish. And then, kind of when I got real suspicious, it was a couple years ago. I was reading a book by a guy from Fairhaven. I won't say his name. This happened in private, but I was reading his book. I was enjoying it. I was sitting at an airport, and you know, and I looked him up on Facebook, found him. I sent I sent him a friend request, and I just sent him a message saying, "Hey, reading your book, really enjoying it." Keep up the good work. You know, people like to just trying to throw some encouragement as well. Yeah. Well, he responded with, glad you like the book, but I'll bet you wouldn't like what I have to say about Steven Anderson and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, <laughs> I didn't even know the guy knew who I was. And he just like, I mean, like immediately responded with that. He didn't have time to like look me up on Facebook and see what I've been sharing or anything like that. And I was just like, what in the world? And then uh, recently, one uh, not far from me, uh, you know, he was fighting the mayor over having services and stuff and took a strong stand. And, you know, we were happy for him. And so uh, I, we found out he was having a revival meeting. He sent me an email telling me about the revival meeting because I had sent him an email just encouraging him. And then so I told the guys in our church, like, hey, let's go to his meeting. He was having a Fairhaven guy, of course. So let's go there and just encourage him, you know, I appreciate the stand he's been taking. And so one of our guys emailed him, told him we were going to be coming. He told us not to because he doesn't want a fellowship with post-trip people and stuff. And I'm just like... <laughs> What in the world? So I was like, what is wrong with that place? And those aren't the only experiences, but it's like, you know, maybe, I don't know, maybe they just have super high standards. Oh, yeah. Like, no, it's it's very – so. trust me, as a Bible – as a student there, I, I only went there one semester. I was like, I see the writing on the walls. I'm going to get kicked out of this place eventually. I, there's just no <laughs> way I'm going to be able to do this. Um, no. You know, and I – yeah, I – that's actually – I've tried just, to be nice to them. You know, you actually kind of, you know – touched on some of the things that I what some of the issues right there is like the exclusivity of some of it. And, you know, if you're not part of my camp, or you're part of that camp, I'm just, and I just got so tired of it. It felt like a bunch of petty children's like squabbling half the time. And I was, mm. I was so disinterested in all of that and just wanted to, I was, I was over it. Right. Yeah. But yeah. And so I guess back to the shallow preaching. Yeah. Back to that. Yeah. I, I can't deny there's not some really shallow preaching, but in, in defense, I guess, of what, you know, some of the shallow preaching is, I think a lot of times, like when the clips are out there and stuff that everybody's sharing, I think you have to take into consideration the setting. Again, is this at a camp meeting? Is it at a preacher's conference where they're just firing up the base and having fun? You know, I mean, to me, if it's a Tuesday morning and you're in church with a bunch of preachers, 
you know, I think you can lower the standard a little bit about what you talk about and how much scripture you use and just get up there and have fun. You know, I, I don't think that's necessarily wrong. Um, you know, except unless, unless you're actually preaching heresy, you know, <laughs> and then I think too, a lot of the preachers that are known for just really shallow preaching, um, you know, I've heard now, I don't know, cause obviously I don't go to all these people's churches, but you know, you know, let's take a Tony Hudson, for example. Uh, you know, I've heard some pretty goofy stuff come from him before. And one of the things that I've noticed in a lot of the clips that people share of him, he's preaching at other churches. It's probably a revival meeting. It's probably a preacher's fellowship. So the chances of a lost person being in church, you know, on Tuesday morning is probably pretty rare or, you know, a Thursday night. He's, he's firing up the base. So I, I've heard some people like him you know, on a Wednesday night actually does, you know, get deep into doctrine. You know, I kind of have a tough time imagining that, but, you know, usually in, in the IFB world, you have more of like a even, you know, an evangelistic sermon uh, during the morning service. You have something more, you know, practical daily living on Sunday night. You got something more of an in-depth Bible study on a Wednesday night, you know, and in Sunday school. Yeah, it often there's a lot of doctrine too. So the thing is, a lot of those ones we don't see. You know, we just kind of see the. So I, I I think a lot of preachers probably don't get some of the. You know, they I think they probably get more grief than they should because there's probably a lot of good being preached that we're not seeing. You know, do you th- I mean, you think that's possible or? I would definitely. I mean, I I would say anything's possible with that. I mean. Yeah, but I feel like, you know, the firing up the base thing, I, it's, it seems like it's almost the emotional manipulation that the quote-unquote trendy crowd gets accused of doing so much, just on a different, like one gets you fired up emotionally with your feel good feelings, and this one to go over here gets you fired up with your, yeah, right, <laughs> validate my feels. Uh, I just, yeah, right. I, it it's seems... the pulpit version of a concert. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, the, and this is something too. I hear a lot of uh, bashing of topical preaching. I mean, I'm preaching got to be okay, right? Yeah. No, I, I was okay. going to say that's that one I'm not going to bash. Topics aren't bad as long as you're pulling the right verses within the right context to validate your topic. Because if you're talking about salvation through faith alone, okay, well, you could go to Hebrews 11 for that and a multitude of other places. So it's okay to talk about a topic. Well, I could preach on the Trinity or something. Like, yeah. okay, here's mm-hmm. all the, the proof text for the Trinity. So when people are only saying you should only do within passage exegetical preaching, I'm not with that crowd. Um, and I know that's a big thing with the, my aisle. Uh, but uh, guys, yes, that's important. Exegeting from the scripture is important. But sometimes you have to address a particular topic. Let's say with progressive Christianity, you have to deal with the topic of homosexuality. Okay, this is a huge thing that's going on that people are trying to twist the scripture to fit within this. Okay, let's actually address this. So turn to me to Leviticus 20, Romans chapter 1, and blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, I find that – I don't find that to be a strong critique. I think it's more the Mm. content that people need to focus on, not just, oh, I don't like the fact that it's a topic. (laughs) What? Right. Yeah. 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 Because I mean, I hear, I you know, I see a lot of criticism of topical preaching. But the thing is, I will say there are some people in the topical preaching camp that speak negatively against expository preaching. You know, which I think, I think there's a place for both. I'd agree. Yeah. Um, absolutely. 
And, you know, I guess if we were going to talk about, you know, if we're talking about the preaching, you know, I, I guess some of the things that I will give the crowd. Yeah. I mean, the verses taken out of context always, you know, never ceases to amaze me. Yep. You know? and, <laughs> and that's with um, any camp. Sometimes you're like, what? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> that was a stretch. I see your bias <laughs> right. so strongly right now. <laughs> yeah. I, I think one of the uh, accusations that are accurate is where, you know, a guy finds a phrase that goes along with what he wants to talk about and he just runs with it and takes things. Like, I mean, yeah, that kind of stuff goes on. And, you know, that's one thing I, th- I can say I appreciate about uh, some of the opposition is, you know, I have seen myself, you know, in other people's flaws you know we often struggle seeing our own flaws but often when we when we see it in other people we start getting us like you know what i've done that same thing before too (laughs) and then you know we can fix it you know the problem is with a lot of these older guys you know after you hit a certain age you're never going to change anything you know and Uh, maybe they're gonna i don't don't know i've had some some, i've had some old people in my church change their mind on certain things i was shocked i was like Wait, you gonna change your mind at eighty two? Like, stu- well, I know, think I'm thinking stu- more along the. Guy's amazing. I, I'm thinking more along the pastor line. Uh, yeah, know, but well, there's that one Baptist pastor we know that became Catholic. Oh goodness! <laughs> oh, oh wow! <laughs> <laughs> That's all conversation for another time. But yeah, yeah I, I would say yeah, I would say that I would say another issue I have is the emphasis on and you know of or, or the vague term of hard preaching. I have no problem with um, hard preaching. If you mean like we're being harshly honest with Drop what the, the truth bombs. with what the topic says, but sometimes I f- it seems when people say harsh preaching, they mean I can say the most offensive and obscene thing behind the pulpit, and if you get mad because I said it at the most offensive way possible, then you're the snowflake. It's like, well, maybe also tact, and you can deliver something harshly while also coming out like smoothing the edge a little bit. I've seen some people say some crazy things where I'm like, okay, that wasn't the way to say that. <laughs> you can say a heart, like bluntly, you can be bold, but there's a point in time where you're almost wrathful with your words. Does that make sense? Yeah. But yeah, I think that another thing too, though, is uh, that's something else that's often, you got to consider the situation because again, if a pastor's preaching to his Sunday night crowd or something, you know, that church might like that. You know, they, that might be what they respond to. Sometimes that's their way of getting people's attention, uh, their way of helping people remember what they said. Again, it can be off-putting to those maybe watching online, those on the outside, or even a visitor. I do think most pastors, though, are, are usually aware of their crowd and their congregation and how something might come across. But often they're completely unaware, again, of the fact that it's it's going outside those four walls. And so the thing is, you know, I, I like, um, for example, you know, Ron Garris, I don't know if you knew Ron Garris, but, um, you know, he used, you know, he's the one that say things like, why don't you run into my fist doing 90 miles an hour? And oh, you know, that guy. tell you to, yeah, he, you know, he'd tell you to stand behind his car when he was leaving, talk about running you over. He would say the most extreme things that if you read a transcript of his message, you'd be like, this man is a maniac. But the thing <laughs> is, and I remember, you know, as a teenager going to listen to him preaching, you one thing I knew about that guy is he he loved people, he loved teenagers. And so while that guy was up there talking about how he wanted to punch me in the face and run me over with his car, you know, I knew that guy 
that guy loved me. And that was just kind of his way. And as teenagers, we ate that up. You know, we we, we loved it. And I, I think there's a lot of that with pastors, too. You know, I've seen certain pastors just get completely blasted for, uh, um, well, yeah, I, I won't name it, one in particular, people probably know what I'm talking about, where he's like kind of going after one of the bus kids in the church service. Well, one thing people don't realize, I worked on a bus route for years and years and years. A lot of parents that, uh, especially moms, single moms raising their kids, they love having pastors and, or even other men in the church that are like strong leadership figures for their boys. And they've, I used to have moms tell me, Hey, can you, can you talk to my son? He's having problems with this. He's having problems with that. And I would go and I just kind of, I'd kind of, you know, lay into him. Be like, yeah, you better watch how you treat your mom. You better not act that way. And I get all over him and the mom would be right there and she'd be thanking me for it. And like, and these, and some of these kids that, you know, I used to just chew out like they were my own were the same kids that when they, you know, come to the bus, you know, they run up and give me a hug. And a lot of times there's that relationship uh, with people in the church. And so uh, a lot of the criticism I think that comes from people who are just seeing these clips where they're really harsh in their judgment of these people. I think if they understood the context, they knew the situation. I think they judge things very differently. Uh, because, um, so yeah, again, and again, some of it's theatrics too, you know, Phil kid, you know, I, you know, he was as a teenager and a young, you know, when I, uh, first got the I love listening to Phil kid. And I went to listen to Phil kid just to see how many, you know, homophobic slurs he was going to use, see if he was going to say anything racist. And it was just kind of the entertainment factor of it. And I'm not, I'm not saying all of that was right, but I don't, you know, I don't think he was doing much damage when he was, you know, preaching the way he preached. I think the intended audience got what they were supposed to get from it. And I just, I think the internet's kind of what's changed some of this to where maybe we should be a little more careful, you know, and take these things into consideration since we know a, a lot of people hearing this stuff aren't going to get the context. They're not, you know, going to know what's going on. And or, you know, it's going to come through with under some pretty severe scrutiny. But I think um, so I, I'm not trying to defend all of it, but I think a lot of it can be defended. if You understand what the background yeah. is. Well, and I think you're kind of making our point, you know, because that's the, the accusations level. Oh, you're just doing that for entertainment value. Or you're doing that because you're playing to the crowd. Probably some of it is, but you yeah, can still get is. strong biblical teaching. But I think, I think that's where you're like, oh, we discount the the trendies because they're doing something I consider trendy because they're doing something that their congregation likes. Then that's bad. But you essentially just gave the example of these IFB preachers doing the same thing. It's just a different trend that they're playing to, or a different group of right. people. You know, mm -hmm. different things are different audience for different different people. Uh, and that was kind of, for me, it was like, man, it seemed like every single time I turned around, a pastor wanted to, oh, it's so cool to call somebody out from behind the pulpit. I only had to do that one time. And you may have been there in that service. Were you there in that service? We had, a, we had an awesome youth group and there's this one day and they could be chatty and I didn't really care. Uh, I knew they were paying attention, but they're also close knit. But there's one day they were being extra rowdy and like the front row and I was like, hey, guys, Trying to talk here and it's really distracting. And they're like, 
And like, uh, you know, one of the girls, one of the sweetest girls ever, like all color drain from her face. I'm like, it's cool. I'm not yelling at you, but like, please relax. <laughs> you can run, make fun of me and everything after the service. And that was, you know, I'm not saying that you can't have some camaraderie with the people. Just sometimes mm-hmm. it's more, and like you said, it's, well, maybe it's change your tactic because even though that might be your church's culture, if you're going to broadcast it to the entire world, they might not know your culture. They might not know the people. Also, I always have to, can't help but think about that visitor, right? Like mm-hmm. somebody who's coming, like, I need God. This church is down the road for me, walks in and, oh man, that was horrible. They have no, mm-hmm. they don't know any of the people. They don't know the culture. They just get a bad rub. And mm-hmm. yet, so that's why it's like, you know, wisdom and prudence with some of those things. Because I cracked terrible jokes. I mean, what, there was one time I joked around uh, that if somebody uh, preaches during one of my sermons, I'll, I'll kneecap them. I, I used the kneecapping a lot as a joke. And I'm like, just kidding. But everyone knew I was kidding. Mm-hmm. And, just kidding, but for real. But yeah, <laughs> just kidding, but really, we'll drag you outside. Right. <laughs> so, right yeah, because a lot of times, too, there's inside jokes. In church, yeah. and 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 I've had people get offended, you know, by by my preaching before because of stuff that I said. But it, it you know, because I often forget that I'm broadcasting the internet, you know, because you know some guys preach to the internet, you know, some preach only their congregation, some do a little bit of both. I I mainly preach my congregation. And I sometimes forget I'm preaching the internet, and so it's like while everybody in the room, especially like on a Wednesday night, they got what I said. You know, it's it's a lot of people are you know, elsewhere are going to question what was said. So I think a lot of that happens. And again, one thing that we're seeing too, with the age of COVID and um, everybody kind of putting things online now, you know, you've got a lot of pastors out out there now who've never thought for a second about anybody hearing this other than the people in that room. And so it's going to, you know, it'll be a while before they, you know, change some of those tactics if they need to, you know, probably after they have a video go viral or something like that. But, you know, at the end of the day, they're probably not as bad as everybody's saying. And um, I'm often repulsed by a lot of the comments under the clips that I, you know, because I'd be preaching clips as I was like, you know, know, why why does everybody hate me? All I do is just post the clips. Well, it's not just you. It's just all these nut jobs getting offended and just saying dumb stuff, you know, after a two minute clip, you know, where's the Bible on that? Well, it was just a two minute clip. You know, we don't just get up and read the Bible, you know, through an entire message. Well, well there's a one time when the girl, like a girl was singing, I'm not going to hell. And people were like slamming. I was like, that's distasteful. Yeah. Uh, that's you, also, you know, you know, there's <laughs> yeah. other times where I went in swing. There's one church. I forget what church it is. I wish I remember It's an IFB church, but I'm part of a Facebook group and it's, you know, there's people who are more uh, like out of the IFB and some people are gracious and some people are like vitriolic and they were just bashed as one church for staying open and during COVID. And I was like, they should, and that, that that's their choice. They can do mm. that. They have the religious freedom to do that. And the and the government has no reason to say no. And, you, you know, and I think that's where I, this is where the thing from across the aisles, I think is important. And I like this, the fact that we're doing this right now. It's the fact that it seems like whenever an IFB person does something, all the people who are ex IFB feel like they need to hate it. And sometimes that also is returned the other way. Well, if they're doing it, we have to hate them. And it's, well, can't we just be objective and say, no, no, that's okay. That's okay. Mm-hmm. And if nothing else, that would help bridge the gap so that way it's not so toxic. Well, I did that with Pastor Rager. He, there was a clip on IFP Preacher Clips about him uh, preaching outside of an abortion clinic. 
mm-hmm. and I'll and some people were making fun of. I was like, everything he's saying is correct. Margaret Sanger was um, someone that was a eugenicist. She was uh, uh, reaching out to the KKK to try to push her agenda. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are murdering babies. I was like, everything he's saying is correct. Now his style might be a little bit obnoxious. I find it entertaining, but I don't think it's something to mock the person over. So, and that's actually mm-hmm. one of the reasons why. Nathan and I connected was after me defending him. I, I there is too much toxicity on the internet in general, especially on Twitter. I'm new Twitter's to Twitter cancer, for like man. a month and a half. I got blocked in the first three hours, and I didn't even say anything yet. So that was kind of fun. But um, <laughs> it was probably right. I probably wasn't going to say something obnoxious. But and I, and I think a lot of the people that are responding to the IP preacher clips things are not necessarily offended. I think we all tend to just if someone disagrees with me, they must be offended by it. We don't get offended unless you attack my wife or my son, I'm not offended. Um, but I think there's, we're missing this opportunity where, oh, they're offended, so I don't have to listen to them. It's like, no, no, some of these are actually really good critiques. And as brothers in Christ, we are supposed to do that. Yeah, and that's desire, what yeah. we're trying to do. That's what we tried to do when we had Pastor Rager on was, was apply that same technique. Hey, I think some of the things you're saying are wrong. Brother in Christ, brother in Christ, let's talk about it. And I think we miss that opportunity where just assuming everyone's offended by what we said because they disagree. Yeah. Well, I think that's actually where it went well with this conversation, with what we're doing now is the fact that, you know, I wasn't so offended where I was like, I'm never talking to Tom again. Some of the trolls, even that you sometimes you'll say something on there and I'm like, yeah, <laughs> like I don't even agree, but that was funny. <laughs> like, yeah. you so I, you know, I, people need, some do, people do need to get thicker skin and stop looking at everyone on the other side of the aisle as everything is toxic. Everything they say is horrible and I'm just going to hate them to hate them instead of try to understand them a little bit. So, yeah, well, sometimes I do poke at people. And so I do, I should probably take this opportunity to just say, Though, like when it comes to Ivy Preacher clips, many of the followers, I think y'all are a bunch of snowflakes and you're half out of your mind and you need to get a life. So that was for them. I just threw that in there because sometimes you just got to poke at somebody. And so uh, (laughs) pull a pin on a grenade and see what happens. We made so much progress on unity, Tommy. What are you doing? (laughs) I don't like those people. Yeah. You know, that's, you know, sometimes too, you know, there's just people you're just not going to click with, you know? True. And, uh, there, and there are, there's there's groups and preachers out there that you know are good people and save love the Lord, but it's like you know I, I'm not I'm not going to fellowship with them. You know I just we're not going to click, and that's kind of how it is too when when it comes to you know even so like even some of the music stuff, it's just you know there's you know certain music is just very off putting to me. I, I I don't like it. Yes, it's my opinion. It's my that's that's my preference, but it's just like you know. If I go to one of these churches and they just start singing some of the Seven Eleven stuff, man, I just it bothers me. I don't like it. I just don't want to be around it. And you know, and if somebody is a little more liberal than me and or you know on their music or whatever, you know th- that's fine. But it's like I do think we ought to reserve the right to sometimes just not necessarily throw somebody under the bus, but just say you know I'm going to keep my distance. Yeah, so, I think it's okay think to say all- I don't like that. That's not you my can, thing. Yeah, you can have preferences. The, yeah, I don't hate the person, right. but that's not my thing. You know, honestly, uh, you, you, uh, you and I had a short interaction talking about music, and I know that a lot of the music nowadays is shallow, and it's because it's become part of this whole industry, right? So it's all about mm-hmm. churning out the next album. So we don't need to worry about death. We just need to worry about numbers, quantity over quality. 
And mm-hmm. I'm not going to say that that's not an issue. Uh, I actually get really frustrated with a lot of the mainstream Christian music because I'm like, we worship the creator of the universe, and the best we could come up with is four chord songs. <laughs> like he is the most creative being, and we're going to worship him with four chord songs and the key of G. That's why all these spoken word poems. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, and some some stuff I I believe nowadays is good. There's some there is some good stuff here. Um, there's some really trash old stuff too, and I think mm-hmm. you you've even admitted that. Like, yeah, there's some trash trash old stuff. But then there's songs like "Be Thou My Vision," that's incredible. You know, it, mm-hmm. you, if anyone says "Be Thou My Vision," it's not. Uh, incredible. Are you saved? I, There's an objective yeah, truth. That's there, a joke. But... That's a joke. I don't want all the people commenting. I want to see the comments. Do I, I, I want to see the comments. You just want to see me get hated again. I, I really enjoy You it. really <laughs> enjoy watching me get hated. Because you're a queer maniac. <laughs> <laughs> that's our new inside joke, though, so thank you for that. I yeah, you that. really did. We also call him um, uh, Rachel Maddow with a Civil War beard. Rachel Maddow's... Yeah. Th- that thank was you, Nathan, funny. for that. We that really was funny. I'm sorry. <laughs> No, no joke when he said that. I was like, oh, crap. Yeah. I was like, dang it. <laughs> Got me. Wow. Yeah. Well, I'm glad, I'm glad you took it good. <laughs> but, well, it, yeah. But let, let's, let's end it with this, though. Uh, the one, one final thing I would like to make sure gets brought up that drives me crazy from your, from your side. I do not I, – I find it very offensive – and I just I think it's flat out wrong when people like me are called legalist. I, I feel like your crowd has updated the definition of the word. I don't think preaching the things that we do is legalism in any way, shape, or form. Everybody's always criticizing the clip of uh, you know Pastor Poindexter where he's talking about he's never heard a legalistic message. You know I I agree with them. I don't I don't think I have be is legalistic and even often with what I would consider the updated definition of it, I still don't think we are. So, you know, why, so the thing is, why do you guys insist on, you know, throwing that label at us? And especially when you know that our crowd doesn't even define it that way, but yet that word gets used so much that I mean, it's just, when I start hearing that word, I just, I get, turned off because it's like I feel like these people are just a broken record and they're not listening the other side I feel like it's a straw man argument so you know why 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 keep using that term and throwing that accusation out well I think to have some unity here I think we all do legalism at some point or time or another and I think that's the point that Paul's giving Timothy is is we need to address the things when we're, we drift off, when we do legalistic things. And using the modern term of legalism being that you're, that you're elevating your preferences to that of a biblical authority, and I think that is a problem. I think that's honestly the same thing we have a lot of problem with the Catholic Church, with their extra biblical teaching. I think when we see that, and I think we all tend to accidentally fall into that because we always, it's an American thing, right? We always think we're right. So if I come, but to I'm always right. Well, you are always right, except when I tell you you're wrong. But we all come to these conclusions about things, right? And we might think we're right. And I, I look back at some things I taught in Sunday school. I'm like, you know, I don't think I was right on that. I lost sleep over it. And I would have appreciated someone coming to me and say, I don't think you're right. I think you're applying your preferences or your biases to the point that above what it really is. And I think 
if we can all agree to just go back to the scripture and look at that, I think that's good. But I, I'm, I'm not just saying you're legalist. I'm saying we all participate in legalism. I think the progressive Christians are probably some of the worst at it. Oh, they're, they, they, they are the worst. I'll say it. It's the worst. It's the worst. <laughs> so, I, but it's all legalism. It's just rules that we're creating that aren't biblical, that we're holding others to, that are preferential. And I think that's what we're trying to say when we're talking legalism. And I do think there is some of that in the IFB. I'm, and I would say, you know, okay, well, we might be offended by the word trendy. <laughs> you know, uh, we're, there's there's some things here that we I think we can have a, a give and take and say, okay, well, is what I was doing a little bit trendy? Okay, well, maybe maybe it was. Is is what you were doing was a l- little bit legalistic? Maybe it was. Just some self-introspection, I think, is what is yeah. what well, that's trying to Well, because legalism has the two definitions, right? And I mm-hmm. mentioned in my – I have one legalism episode, and that's pretty much it um, because it is an over, it is an overused term. Yeah, um, it's pretty much used – in general, even if somebody's like trying to push a actual biblical authority, right? Like, well, sexual immorality. They're like, oh, legalist. And it's like, mm. no, this is biblical. Uh, so, you know, there's the salvation through works. That is the traditional use of the term legalism. And in that case, yes, uh, I, I've never heard an IFB church be in that definition of legalism. Uh, that does, not, does yep. not fit. Apparently, my stepmom was raising one like that. She's like, oh, no, they always taught the law, the law, and if we didn't follow it, we weren't saved. I'm like, I don't know why IFB church you went to because like I've Jehovah's never Witnesses. heard that in my life. <laughs> um, the other, the second definition is the adherence to an ex- excessive adherence to a law or formula or things along that nature. Like we were talking about the music preference thing, right? Like I don't like mm-hmm. – I prefer the hymns. You might be a little bit looser, but then if we're like, nope, this is the way it is, and if you do that, you're in sin, that it would be the excessive adherence to a law or formula, if that makes sense. That would where that right. term legalism comes from. Yeah, and, and I, I understand the second definition. I guess the thing, to me, what's dishonest about having uh, two different definitions and using the same word in, in a situation like that is like, you know, when you're talking about the, you know, the real legalism of adding works to salvation, I mean, you know, that's damnable heresy. You know, that will, uh, that teaching will send someone to hell. Right. And so the thing is, when you take something that is that strong of a word, it, and then you use that same word for something else that is completely different. You know, there's, there's a big difference between telling somebody, you got to do this in order to be saved, then maybe somebody saying, you got to do this in order to be a part of our church or, you know, you're sinning as a Christian. If you do this thing, you know, that, you know, those are two completely different things. And so it would be like me trying to, you know, this is an extreme, but trying to update the word murder, you know, and then, you know, just beating somebody up. I've decided that's, that's murder too. And then I'm calling people murder because they punch somebody. It's like, no, you got to understand there's two definitions. You know, I meant, I meant the second one, but no, murder is a pretty strong term. We probably should keep it where it belongs. Yeah. And so the thing is, you know, listening to these people just constantly throw that word out because somebody's preaching on standards. and, And even if they are preaching that something is a sin, you know, if nobody's saying that you're, uh, not saved or, you know, I, I guess I probably heard some IFB preachers. I, I have heard some IFB preachers say that, you know, if you're not doing this, this and this, you probably never were saved. And I, I think that's wrong. I think that's out of line, you know, where they're not, you know, I don't, I don't believe this person really got saved because they never 
you know, repented of all their sins. They never got church. They never got baptized. I'm not saying I do that to go to heaven, but if you're going to heaven, you're probably going to do that. Well, then I can kind of see saying that because, because of the fact that causes people to um, get this, their, their source of assurance of their salvation is in their works rather than on the finished work of Jesus Christ. And, but I don't think that's what's happening in the IFB world. I think they're just saying, you're a Christian, you should do this. You know, this is what the Bible says. Now, maybe sometimes they uh, declare something of sin that really isn't. Maybe they take too strong of a position or they take a scripture out of context. You know, I think when that happens, I think we need to call that out. If a guy sure. does go overboard on dress standards, we call him out for going overboard on dress standards and, uh, you know, you know, using too much, you know, uh, eisegesis and rather than exegesis or whatever, but you can't call him a legalist. I, I think when you do that it, and, and when, you know, the other side is accusing the IFB of being a legalist, you're, you're losing, you know, you lose me when you, when you say that. And I've, I've heard a lot of people that I've talked to about this and be, or even people I called out on Twitter for this and they just, they double down with that term and they just keep pushing that. And, to me, it just tells me, you know, you don't have an argument. If, if you're going to keep just screaming legalism every time, we just want to preach against sin, you know, and there are you know, Christians can sin. Christians can get out of line. And if you and just throwing that word out there, um, it, I, I find it very off putting. And and I do I get I I don't like. I don't, I don't mind getting, having insults and things thrown at me, you know, because a lot of times this is what they are. It's insults. But, you know, when you get accused, there's some things you don't want to get accused of. And to me, legalism is a horrible thing. I don't want to get accused of that. And I'm not, I don't, I don't think I'm a legalist in any way, shape or form. And I think you got to really twist definitions and update things to even put me in that camp in, in an honest way at all. Well, so I, I find that I, that was a good explanation. I appreciate that. I also couldn't help but kind of the irony sirens are going off in my head because two definitions of a word. So I think in my head, old paths where there's two definitions and the one definition, the new one that the IFP is using is being used as a club against trendies. Speaking of trendies, there's another word <laughs> that's <laughs> given a second definition that's being used in a derogatory way that I think a lot of people don't appreciate. So I think I, I kind of find it funny that, sh that you're identifying these words that you don't like to be called because honestly, what I've seen from what have you put out there, you use a lot of words like that too as derogatory terms of other people, what, including well, us. And, yeah, and, but the thing is trendy too. I know trendy is an insult, you know, and, and it's even meant to be an insult, but it's also, it's not a damnable accusation too, you know, where like to me legalist is, you know, it, you know, like heretic is a really strong word, you know, because You've been called you know, that, that implies, yeah, that, that implies some major guilt, Tr you know, trendy, you know, that is that, you know, I'm not going to act like I don't use, you know, put downs and insults, you know, and uh, I, I'm not going to act like that. But again, there's a difference between, like I said, like an insult, e even, even something personal, then what I would consider an extremely harsh accusation. You know, you can be a trendy and still be saved and go to heaven and lo love the Lord. To me, you can't be a legalist and be saved, you know? And so there, there's a big, you know, 
I, yeah, I would think I, there's a big difference. I understand. Yeah, I definitely can understand what your issue would be on that. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, one of the things that would, when you were talking about double definitions that kept popping in my mind was worldly. Because, mm -hmm. oh, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, worldly is like, well, oh, in context, worldly. when it's a stepping out, it's like stepping out of the sinful nature of the world as mm -hmm. opposed to the cultural relevancies. Some of the cultural relevancies, like if it's cultural to have like temple sex with, with prostitutes like they had back then. Yes, that would be culturally sinful because God already said it was sinful before it was even cultural. But then it's like sometimes what gets labeled as worldly, like movie theaters, uh, you know, uh, that's worldly. I'm like YouTube or YouTube <laughs> or it's like, yeah, we could keep drawing lines. But it's like, what was that verse meaning when it said really when you call me worldly? Are you saying that I engage in my culture or are you saying I'm engaged in my in the sinful nature of said world, which is what the verse seems to be implying. I think that's more honest with it. Otherwise, it gets a little too ambiguous and where we draw the lines. Mm -hmm. But I could definitely see where, you know, being called a legalist, we're like, whoa, hold on. The other definition, you know, what I am, even if I am at, you know, preaching my standards as preference, whatever, I don't want to be called this. And I think you and I kind of, I'm not sure if we ever did this on purpose, but I think on our program, we tend to call it preferences. Yeah. We, we try to say you're holding up your prep. And we do mention legalism. We make a lot of memes about legalism because it is funny and a lot of it's true. <laughs> so, yeah, I could obviously see, you know, and maybe on our end, maybe people should stop just throwing the ambiguous word out. And I actually do. I will agree on this part. People need to articulate better on yes. what their actual issue is. You know, it's not enough mm. to say when a guy preaches about music preferences or music beliefs to just go, Legalists. In fact, I saw this happen with Brad and Seamus. We have some friends of ours that are Messianic Jews. And uh, he was talking about how he's a Sabbath day worshiper. And the first comment he got was legalist. And, I was, and he goes, and he kind of pointed, I was like, this is my favorite. He's like, this is my favorite term that people use on me because it's so vague. So um, he was going by a second definition. He said to, he's like, I would be considered super liberal compared to other Messianic Jews. And, but to other Christians, I'd be considered too strict. So therefore I'm a legalist. So, you know, he's like, it's just this, it's this ambiguous word on a sliding totem pole. And so mm -hmm. I do understand where it's like, if you don't articulate specifically what you mean when you say that word, you are really, you know, you're going to miss the mark and all you're going to do is speak past you, right? Like if I'm going to try mm -hmm. to get Tommy McMurtry to understand where mm -hmm. I'm coming from, just saying legalist without articulating it is going. not going to help you. You're just going to hear, mm -hmm. you're going to hear an insult and dismiss it just as quickly as it was brought to you. And I'm, that. Right. and I'm not advocating for name calling by any means, especially not the term legalist, mm -hmm. but I think it's just kind of funny because I think there's a lot of name calling going around. And I think when we're trying to especially address it in podcasts, maybe not in the memes because we're just trying to be punchy, but yeah, memes are just meant to be enjoy them. Yeah. <laughs> just meant to po poke fun, but we're not, ourselves. but when we're talking about the podcast, we're not, we're not calling people legalists. We are saying mm -hmm. this is some legalism. This action was legalistic. And but we're not address we're not broad brushing someone's entire personality um, in that way, um, and that's why we'll talk about progressive Christianity it has a lot of legalism in it, and we see that kind of that legalism of of progressive Christianity seem to have the same kind of basis we see in some of the ultra conservative uh, Christian churches as well. In the words of Vodibakum, progressive Christianity follows the eleventh commandment, which is be nice always. <laughs> Unless I disagree with you. <laughs> yeah, like I said, I think I think at our camp, uh, you know, like we the word heretic and heresy gets thrown around quite a bit, you know, which are those are strong. Those are strong. Terms. Very strong and words. Yeah. Like, and so I uh, I think, though, on the other side, I think kind of, you know, an equivalent of that is the word legalist legalism. 
And I think that gets thrown around way too much too. And so that's probably uh, fair. I can say I'm sure it does not going to be an intelligent. Oh, I see it. No, it, so, it does. I've seen it. <laughs> so, and, and you know, and there are so you know, like the old paths term. You know, yes. Uh, you know, I, the message I just preached about old paths. I believe the Jeremiah six sixteen old paths is he was he was calling on Israel. To, if you read the previous chapters and just a lot of the things that are mentioned, I think generally what he's talking about is he's trying to call Israel back to loving God. And agreed. Uh, yes. Because mm-hmm. they, they music. were still, yeah, yeah, they were still doing a lot of stuff that they were supposed to do, but they were doing it. They weren't doing it from the heart. They weren't doing it for the right reasons. And yep. God wanted them to go back to loving him. So to me, the old paths is kind of like, you know, the honeymoon state because he, uh, you know, in, you know, in, in a marriage, you know, you want to get back to that when it was, it was, it was more about love and not just doing things out of duty and because you have to. You know, because you want to have that good relationship. So Bingo. to me, that's what the old paths is, the Jeremiah 616. I don't think it's wrong, though, to preach on the principle of the old paths where, uh, and maybe Jeremiah 616 isn't the best verse to use, but, you know, when it says, you know, wherein is the good way, uh, you, know, you could say that an old path is something that is a path that is it's tested, it's tried, you know where it leads, you know, you know the twists and turns and the ups and downs. You know what you're up against when you take that old path rather than the new path. You don't know where it's going to lead. You don't know what it's going to take you through. And so I think when most preachers use that term, you know, they're referring to that as a principle that, you know, we want to stick with things that are tried and tested. And so that's why, you know, we use those old hymns. It doesn't mean there's not going to be some new songs that come along that will be good. But I think over time we'll, we'll figure out, we'll see which ones make it, which ones survive. Um, when new things are tried, you know, there's a there's a chance. All right. Anything can happen. There's a chance that at idea day, somebody might have a good idea that actually is a good way to do something. But you know what? I'm not going to try it until everyone else tests it out. And let me see. Let me let these other people take that path. And I want to see where it leads. And if it leads somewhere good, then maybe 10 or 20 years from now, I might get on board with it. But in like the meantime, YouTube. Like YouTube, yeah, exactly. And and so the thing is, a lot of the stuff that is, you know, prevalent in, you know, on what I would consider the trendy camp, those things, many of them do seem to lead places where uh, a lot of us don't want to go. And, you know, and, you know, and it does. It seems like typically the music, when the music goes, it's only a matter of time. And then the dress goes. There's And then as soon as that happens, the King James Bible goes out the window. You got to understand that in our world, these are all important things, especially the King James issue. And so when we, uh, you know, I think the King James issue is more important than the dress. And I think the dress is probably more important than the music. But the thing is, when I see the music go, I start, man, you know what? They're, it's not going to look right. Them singing these weird contemporary songs, dressed in their suit and tie. They're going to, they're going to have to change the lighting. They're going to have to change the look. There's, you know, you can, one of the things, these things I'm, I'm planning on doing one of these nights when I get everything together on it is I'm going to play clips of music and I'm going to have like multiple choice pictures of what group sang that. And <laughs> you'll be able to tell what group sang it by the music. There's well, a certain let me know dress. when you do that. I just want to be watching so I can. It's, it's going to be great. It, yeah, <laughs> it, 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 yeah, it's, it's going to be meant to just, you know, tick off all the trendies. But I'm going to, I'm going to show auditoriums. And say, here, listen to the music. Now, which auditorium was the sung in? And you'll get it right every time. 
because these things are all connected for some reason. And you might act, think it's not that big of a deal, but you know what? Once it gets to this certain look and this certain way, and this is why this is why it matters to me, the King James Bible always goes out the window. And that's why I guess I get passionate about this stuff and I get concerned if some of my friends start doing some of this, you know, this stuff. And 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 that's why a lot of these pastors too, you know, these old preachers you hear, you know spazzing out about things that seem pretty trivial is because they are seeing these guys going down a path and it's like they know where that's going to end up and so i and i guess that's where we have that old paths term come from so there is a a cultural old paths and we all use jeremiah 6 16 because we have to have a bible verse uh, before we <laughs> even know, if it doesn't apply talk about anything. <laughs> even if it's out of context <laughs> we're gonna make it work right, let's yeah, do it <laughs> yeah but I, I i do i do wish baptists would actually figure out what that verse is actually talking about you know, <laughs> that'd be nice it's not about suits yeah no it's not about suits but uh you know but if you want to take the principle of an old path again you know i and i've said this before too if i find another group that I feel is preaching the Bible better than our crowd, doing more for the Lord than our crowd, that's better on doctrine than our crowd, and they're dressing a little different, I might end up going that way. You know, I might lose the suit and tie, but I'm not, I'm just, I'm not seeing, you know, to me, where I'm seeing good doctrine being preserved, it is in churches that I think look like ours. And so, that I I think that's the motivation between by a lot of the stuff that you see, and some of it might be misguided, but uh, comes from the heart. Do yeah. you mind if I respond to that real quick? Because I, I just yeah. I just want to give our perspective on that. So when you say, "Oh, we see these," you know, once this music goes and they start wearing jeans and King James Bible, um, one way I see that all connected is when people essentially have the scales fall from their eyes and go oh, these were all preferences, and I'm just now going to focus on what the Bible says, those things are all connected that way because they're all preferences. And I think that's why you see them go in a domino effect, because mm-hmm. they you can't hold on to just one of those preferences and let the others go by, because you're starting to... The camps that we see, whether we want to call us trendies or whatever, I would just say that we're, we're biblicists. I say, mm-hmm. once you see that those standards aren't really standards, they're just preferences, then who cares? It's Christian liberty, and I'm going to let you, if you want to wear a suit, we have plenty of people that wear a suit at our church. You want to wear a suit? Wear a suit. I wore a blazer Sunday. Hey. Yeah. I, I look great in a suit, so I'll wear it all the time. Okay. Oh, I didn't wear a tie, though, did you? No, I did not. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. and Actually, I do like I, ties. I, guess, I do like that. Right. But I guess here's I the thing. I have a big so I don't like ties. Yeah. <laughs> it's because you're fat. So I guess for me, though, I don't see how those things all would be connected. So I guess to me, if music if dress if all these things were just that preferences didn't really matter then it seems like we should be able to find some guy out there dressed like a trendy who's strong on the king james issue you know it seems like we should find somebody out there who uh it's always like it's a whole package deal and it's like you know or uh one that's maybe doesn't have his king james and he's he's you know, dressed more casual, but man, he is, you know, real conservative on the music. It just, I don't think there's, to me, 
I don't see how these things would be a package deal, but yet it always seems they are, which just to me seems like a person has just found a new group and a new culture that they want to follow. And, and, and I will admit a lot of what we do, it is cultural in many ways, you know, but um, I don't think some of the things are. And so, I got to say, I'll give you props for admitting that at least some of these things that you do are cultural. A lot of a lot of IFP pastors don't admit yeah. that. And I'm okay well, suit with... suit and tie is cultural. There's no yeah, there's no two ways around it. Exactly. No. And I still don't think there's anything wrong with that. I've, I actually have about... 60 ties and uh, mm. I still love ties. I, I've, yeah. I, I'm weird in that area. People are like, oh, I love IFB, can't stand that. I'm like, I still like to wear suits and ties. <laughs> mm. <laughs> I just, yeah. I, I enjoy it. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. My sister actually goes to a church that they, I think they preach out of the King James or it's the new King James. I don't know where you, what, what, with you on that, but, uh, mm. and I know that they use both. I don't know. Her church is like, it's an independent Baptist church, pretty big uh, in Virginia, but it's, like she's like it's nice because it's not, it doesn't feel like it's either too far direction. So I don't know. Maybe there is somebody out there that you know has this has a strong King James position and is a bit more trendy in these areas. I don't know. I'd have to look around for that. I've, I I can tell you the church I grew up in was all suits and dresses. It was all hymns, old hymns, nothing contemporary. There was no projector screen or anything, and the NIV. Weird. So I, right. I, yeah, I think well, you maybe just haven't seen yeah, a lot of other churches. Well, so I'm sure there's, I guess, I'm sure there's individuals out there. But again, too, you know, I, I guess I'm thinking more about people who are these groups that are from the IFB leaving the IFB. You know, I can't speak for all the other religions. and Yeah, it's hard to do that. Talk. There's too many. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. same religion. So, you know, when it comes to the former IFBers, I guess. But yeah, but I don't know. Well, you know, we probably better shut this down. This has gone long, but I really <laughs> enjoyed fun. it. Yeah, this yeah, is fun. I really enjoyed Thank it. Thank you. And I appreciate you guys being willing to uh, do this with me. And so uh, do you have any final words that you want to give before I close this out? Uh, no, uh, I just wanted to say real quick that, you know, um, I'm glad we were able to have a conversation. It, you know, I wouldn't have uh, accepted your invitation if i didn't think we could be cordial and i hope that this tell shows other people maybe who are even more in our camp that mm-hmm. tommy mcmurtry isn't going to bite <laughs> you know he's he'll tell you what he thinks he, and he's not going yourself. to you know what speak for yourself speak for yourself <laughs> <laughs> but uh, wait i'll get behind my pulpit on sunday <laughs> <laughs> but no i honestly that was one of the things for me i'm like you know more people should do this uh they should yes. take people take people up on having conversations from across the aisle and you might learn something you might realize you've misrepresented somebody and you might just realize better ways to represent your own position so i just hope this helps other people to be, be like you know that he was pretty nice to the church split guys even though they disagreed on a lot. Um, I am a nice so. guy. Uh, so. Well, hey, That's well, what thank you guys. <laughs> yeah, thank you. <laughs> thank you very much. But hey, again, uh, so that's it, folks. I, I just proved it. I can be nice. I can be nice to people. I hope those of you who uh, follow me and are on my side of these things, uh, you know, I'm probably going to get called a compromiser and everybody's going to be mad at me for not just, you know, tearing you guys apart, but I'll let them all know. I could have, I, I, I could have destroyed these guys, but you know, that'd be nice. No, but, but uh, at, at the same time too, if, if you're a follower of mine, you know, I hope this doesn't, uh, you know, behave yourself with these guys. All right. Don't act like maniacs in the com- in the uh, comments. Don't go over their channel and start trolling them and act like maniacs. If you do, you're going to make me look bad. All right. So uh, sometimes you need to have these polite conversations. And so I think, 
I think this went pretty good. I, you know, I think it gave our side an opportunity to be heard, hopefully by some of the other side. And because uh, I don't think we're often represented fairly. And, you know, and I think too, I learned some stuff from talking to them that I think is important. And at the end of the day, what I'm wanting to do with myself is I obviously want to preach the truth. I want to stand against stuff, but I don't want to get too caught up into using other people and using other people's names uh, as just a way to uh, get attention and create controversy. Um, I think we should, you know, be able to stick to issues on things and at least accurately represent. I think there is a time and place to call out individuals, call out groups, name them. But if you're going to do it, you got to do it right. If I'm going to say somebody believes something, it needs to actually be what they believe. And so um, I have adopted a rule for myself. If I talk about somebody, then I have to allow them at least an opportunity to talk to me. You know, it doesn't necessarily have to be in this format, but uh, I'm going to take their phone call and they can let me know, man, you misrepresented me bad. You were out of line. Um, I, I should be able to do that because let me tell you something. I have, I mean, just look at my name on YouTube. I have been called everything in the book. I've been accused of believing all kinds of crazy things that just aren't true. And none of these people, I, I'd, I'd like it if someone gave me the opportunity to kind of set the record straight on some of these things and they don't do it. And I, I just think that's wrong. And so I don't want to do it to other people. And um, there are, were clearly some things in here that we just don't agree on. And, you know, sometimes we just got to accept that. And uh, I'm not really interested in making my mission now to uh, go out and just devote a great deal of my ministry into attacking these guys and uh, showing everybody just how horrible they are. I feel like, you know, I said what needed to be said and I allowed them to talk to me. And I think that's all we can do. Sometimes at the end of the day, we just kind of have to go our separate ways and do our own thing and uh, let the Holy Spirit fix us and where we need fixed. So 